This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wal-aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Wal-adwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika lahu waliyu al-salihin. وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد. So today inshallah ta'ala is the 12th day of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijrah and this is the 12th session in the reading and commentary of Tafsir al-Jalalain by the two authors Jalaluddin al-Mahalli and Jalaluddin al-Siyuti alayhima rahmatullahi ta'ala. And one of the names that we often mention or I often mention as we're going through the tafsir and as we're making an explanation is um, Al-Imam Al-Tabari, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And some months ago I did a two or three session uh, biography of Al-Tabari and his methodology in tafsir, Rahimahullah, which I did on QuranicProgression.org. And I think it's worthwhile going back to that and, and listening to that because of uh, the tafsir of Imam Al-Tabari being not only the most extensive or one of the most extensive collections of tafsir that we have, but also one of the earliest that we have that has survived to our age. And Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, Muhammad ibn Jarir Abu Ja'far, who died in the year 310 of the Hijrah, is not only an amazing scholar of tafsir, but he's an amazing scholar of hadith and fiqh and qiraat to the extent that in his time, his students actually followed his madhab of fiqh. So just as we have the Shafi'i Madhab and the Hanafi Madhab and the Maliki and Hanbali Madhabs, Imam Al-Tabari had his own Madhab that was called Al-Jariri. And that's why sometimes you find in the early narrators of Hadith and the early scholars that the title at the end of their name is Al-Jariri, just as you have Al-Maliki and Al-Shafi'i because they used to follow the Madhab of Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala. And that's to show you his uh, status in terms of his knowledge rahimahullah ta'ala. And he was a scholar who uh, never got married, actually. He was a bachelor. Uh, Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghadda, rahimahullah, has a very nice uh, book that he wrote on the bachelors amongst the scholars. And from amongst the most famous of those names included in that is Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah. But he's someone who dedicated his life to, to knowledge, rahimahullah. And everyone who comes after him is dependent on his tafsir of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his gathering of the narrations of the early scholars of Islam. And if we think about Imam Asyuti who died in the year 911 and Al-Tabari who died some 600 years before him, there is a massive gap in terms of the generations that they belonged to and the time frames that they came in. Rahimahumullah. And Imam Al-Tabari, Rahimahullah, in his tafsir, or the story of his tafsir as is mentioned by in the books of biography is that his students asked him one day for a tafsir and he told them to bring him 30,000 pages. 30,000 blank pages so he could write a tafsir. And his students said, that's too long. 30,000 pages will be crazy. It's too much. We want a summarized version of tafsir. So Imam al-Tabari became upset, despondent that his students, he's offering to give them all of this tafsir and they're refusing. So he said, people's aspirations have died. And so instead he asked them for 3,000 pages and on those 3,000 pages he wrote what is today one of the most extensive collections of tafsir which shows to you how much more he had rahimahullah ta'ala 
to give. And that is from the knowledge that dies with people and the scholars as they pass away. And then Imam Al-Tabari in his tafsir not only mentions the tafsir of the Quran, but he'll go into qiraat and he'll go into fiqh and he will give his opinion in terms of what he considers to be stronger and weaker. And then Imam Al-Tabari is an Imam in qiraat as well, even though he's not often um, recognized as an Imam in qiraat. And Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah, lived in the same uh, time frame, in the same generation as Ibn Mujahid. And Ibn Mujahid, rahimahullah, is the one who's credited as being the first scholar to codify the knowledge of Qira'at. He was the one who wrote down the codes or the rules and the principles of the seven Qur'an. He's considered to be the first one to do that. And he was a contemporary of Imam Al-Tabari. Ibn Mujahid's student used to say that when Ibn Mujahid would finish in Ramadan praying Taraweeh, we would walk together. And as we would walk in the marketplace or we're walking on the way home, he would always stop outside of the door of the masjid of Imam Al-Tabari to listen to him recite the Qur'an. And I would say to him, oh Ibn Mujahid, why are you stopping here? You're an imam in Qira'at, you're an imam in Qur'an, people come to you from all over the world to study Qur'an with you, why do you always stop outside his masjid? He said that I've never had anyone recite the Qur'an the way that Al-Tabari recites the Qur'an, rahimahullah ta'ala. And that is a testimony from his contemporary. So, um, as we go through this tafsir, and as I mention these names, it is important for us to at least have some kind of inkling of who these people were, and what they offered in terms of their efforts, and what they gave in terms of their service to our religion and the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, inshallah ta'ala, today we continue with the tafsir of Surah Yusuf, and yesterday we finished at verse 42. So, so far we have discussed from the story of Yusuf alayhi salatu was salam. Yusuf alayhi salam being split from his father, being left for dead in the wild, being sold into bondage and slavery. And then when he refuses the advances of the wife of his, of his master, he is imprisoned. And he stays in prison, in prison as Allah azza wa mentions in verse 42, Bid'a sinin. And we said Bid'a sinin can be a number anywhere from between 3 and 9 and usually when it is mentioned in the context of the Quran it is at the upper range of or the upper number or the upper part of that range that is being mentioned the point being that he spent a number of years in prison by Allah's will and now we will go on to how he leaves prison and then his story as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes him from the bottom of that well and elevates him to one of the highest positions in the land بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما يا رب العالمين اللهم اغفر لشيخنا ولوالدينا ولجميع المسلمين أما بعد قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى في تفسير قوله تعالى أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وقال الملك إني أرى سبع بقرات سمان يأكلهن سبع عجاف وسبع سنبلات خضر وأخر يابسات The king of Egypt whose name was Arrayan ibn al-Walid declared I dreamt of seven fat cows which seven thin ones ate and seven green ears of wheat and seven others which were dry يا أيها الملأ أفتوني في رؤياي إن كنتم للرؤيا تعبرون 
O counselors, explain my dream to me and make it clear. If you are those who can interpret visions, interpret it for me. They said, this is a jumbled mass of mixed up dreams. We do not know the meaning of such dreams. وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ جَا مِنْهُمَا وَالدَّكَرَ بَعْدَ أُمَّةٍ أَنَا أُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِتَأْوِيلِهِ فَأَرْسِلُونَ The one of them, meaning the cupbearer, who had been saved, then said, remembering Yusuf after a period, I will tell you what it signifies, so send me out. They sent him, and he went to Yusuf. يُوسُفُ أَيُّهَا الصِّدِّيقُ أَفْتِنَا أَفْتِنَا فِي سَبْعِ بَقَرَاتٍ سِمَانٍ يَأْكُلُهُنَّ سَبْعٌ عِجَافٌ وَسَبْعِ سُنْبُلَاتٍ خُضْرٍ وَأُخَرَ يَابِسَاتٍ O truthful Yusuf, tell us of seven fat cows, which seven thin ones ate, and seven green ears of wheat, and seven others which were dry. لَعَلِّي أَرْجِعُ إِلَى النَّاسِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ So that I may return to them, meaning the king and his companions, and let them know what the dream meant. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that the two fellow inmates of Yusuf salam, one of them, Yusuf salam, from the dream that he relayed to him, knew that he would be executed, that he would die. And that the other one would be returned to his position as the cupbearer of the king, meaning that he would have an extremely close proximity to the king and the ear of the king. And so he said to him that when you go back, tell him about my story and my situation. As Allah then says, Shaytan made that man forget for a number of years. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at the time that he decrees, he gives his own, uh, if you like, reason or own means and method by which that man will remember to mention the story of Yusuf to the king. And that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often does, as we took in the story in Surah Al-Infal of the Battle of Badr, how the companions of the Prophet went out with one intention and one purpose. But Allah had a different intention and purpose for them And so it changed The whole narrative changes The whole scenario changes Based upon what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants Allah did not will for Yusuf To come out of prison immediately But rather part of his challenge And part of his patience And therefore part of the lessons that we take from his story Is the length of time that he will continue To spend in prison And then Allah through a dream Makes it the means by which he will be uh, be taken out from prison So the king sees a dream And this is a dream that perturbs him It disturbs him Because it's a dream that seems to have a message that is important But a dream that he doesn't understand Because he's not someone who can interpret the dream So he gathers his advisors And he relays the dream to them And he says tell me what does it mean And they said these are dreams We're not experts in dreams We're ministers and we're advisors and we're experts But we are, we are people who can interpret dreams And when the cupbearer hears this He remembers as Allah says, After that period of time elapses, he remembers that he does know someone who interprets dreams and is very good at it and is very accurate in his interpretation. So he says to the king, if you give me a chance, I will go to someone and get it interpreted for you. And the king agrees. And so this man will go to Yusuf in prison and relay the dream of the king to him. He said, sow for seven years in a normal way, meaning cultivate your crops for seven years in a row. That is, that is what is meant by the seven fat cows. فَمَا حَصَدْتُمْ فَذَرُوهُ فِي سُنْبُلِهِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا مِمَّا تَأْكُلُونَ And leave that which you harvest in the ear, so that it does not rot, except for a small amount from which you eat, which you should thresh. 
ثم يأتي من بعد ذلك سبع شداد يأكلن ما قدمتم لهن إلا قليلا مما تحصنون Then after that, meaning the seven fertile years, seven hard years of drought, signified by the seven thin cows, will come, in which you can eat from what you set aside for them, referring to the grain stored during the fertile years, except for a little which you store. ثم يأتي من بعد ذلك عام فيه يغاث الناس وفيه يعصرون. Then after that, meaning the seven years of drought, another year will come in which the people will be helped by rain in plenty. And when they once more will press grapes in a, in a time of fertility. And so Yusuf from the dream of the king, he tells him that the next 15 years, he gives him the outcome of what will take place in that land. As for the first seven years, they will be normal years. Normal years, as they are currently. But he says to him, those seven years that are normal are there for you to prepare for the following seven years, which will be extremely difficult years of drought and famine. So what you take from the harvest eat very little and store the rest so that when those seven years of drought and famine come, you prepare for them. And that is again from the way that Allah made the events in the time of Yusuf take place because it is the seven years of drought and famine that are then the cause of the brothers of Yusuf to come to Yusuf seeking that ration, seeking provision, seeking that help. Right? Just as you know, in our time with everyone that's furloughed and working, the government is helping them. That's the same thing. Basically, this is a very early type of uh, furlough of that time. So, Yusuf is saying seven years of goodness, of plenty. But don't eat what you have. Don't think that it is easy. Use those seven years to prepare for the seven years of hardship. And in those seven years of hardship, Allah will decree that that is the cause that brings the brothers of Yusuf to come. And this, therefore, we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has planned in the way that it emerges over time. And often Allah does plans are not something which take place within a day or two or a year or two, but can sometimes last for decades before they come to fruition. And so he says you will have those seven years of difficulty. In them you eat what you store. And you keep a little that you re, uh, recultivate in the land and so on. And then the 15th year, so the seven years of ease, seven years of hardship, then you will have a year that is again a year of plenty, meaning things will go back to normal. And from the benefits of these verses 47 to 49, is how when this man comes to him, Allah Azza wa doesn't relay this, the approach of Yusuf to this man saying, how dare you come back to me? It's been like nine years. I told you to remember me. Now you come back in your time of need. Now you come back. He doesn't in any way reproach him. And number two, he doesn't make it a condition of interpreting the dream of the king that the king first hear his story and look into his case and review his judgment. Nor does he say to the king that I will only tell you if you deal with my issue and then I will help you. You help me, I help you. And that is because when it is a time of major strife, major issues, things that will, will involve everyone, then the benefit of society always takes priority over the benefit of the individual. And that is from the principles of our sharia. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ said in the early Meccan period before Islam that the Prophet ﷺ was present when the Quraysh gathered together and they wrote a contract amongst them that anyone who is weak or anyone who is a traveler, a foreigner in Mecca and is oppressed by any of the Quraysh people, the Quraishites, then all of the Meccans will unite to help the oppressed. The Prophet ﷺ said many years later after Islam, as a Prophet of Allah, if I was to be called to sign something similar again, I would do so. 
because that is of a benefit for all of society. It is for everyone. Everyone benefits. Muslim, non-Muslim, old, young, rich, poor. Everyone benefits from that approach. And that is from Yusuf Ali's patience and his forbearance that he could tolerate such a thing despite the difficulty and hardship that he goes through because he understands what is of greater benefit. The king said when the messenger came and told him this interpretation of his dream, bring him who has interpreted it, meaning Yusuf, to me straight away. But when the envoy came to him to ask him to come out, he said, desiring to prove his innocence, go back to your master and inquire of him what happened about the women who cut their hands. My Lord has knowledge of the cunning guile. So the messenger went back and told the king and he summoned the women. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, now is when the king realizes that this man is amazing. If he has this ability, he has this quality, he is someone that I should speak to and someone that I should benefit from, especially with the coming years of what's going to take place. So when his messenger goes back to him and he says to him that the king demands your presence, this is now when Yusuf says, no, now you need to deal with my issue. Now I want my innocence proved before I go and stand before the king. So I don't want to just leave with this cloud, this cloud of being guilty upon me and people thinking that this is what I did, depending, you know, based on the case of the women and their story. I want my name clear. And this is when he puts that condition in. And now he's done his duty and he's told the people what they need to know. Now it's a personal issue. Whether it comes out, doesn't come out, doesn't affect the greater well-being of the society. And that is why the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu in al-Tirmidhi, he said, if I was to have spent the time that Yusuf alayhi had spent in prison, and the messenger came to me, I would have responded immediately. Meaning that I wouldn't have said to him, go back and, you know, find out and see what the king thinks, and if he doesn't agree, then I'm staying here. I would have just responded. And that is from the humbleness of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa to show the patience of Yusuf alayhi salatu wassalam that despite the difficulty, he's still willing to take that risk, that the king may actually say, actually, you know what, I don't need you. Or, the women were right, and you should stay in your place where you are. He said, what was this past affair of yours when you solicited Yusuf? Did you find that he inclined to you at all? They then replied, Allah forbid, we know no bad of him. The governor's wife then said, the truth has now emerged and become clear. Indeed, I tried to seduce him then and he has simply told the honest truth. She admitted that he had spoken the truth. Yusuf was informed of it and then said the following. In this way, by making his innocence known, he, meaning the Aziz, may know at last that I did not dishonor him behind his back and did not betray him with his wife. And that Allah most surely does not guide the deviousness of the dishonorable. Then he was humbled and said, I do not say myself was free from blame, meaning false. Indeed, 
The self, here used generically, meaning human selves in general, indeed often commands to evil acts, except for those my Lord has mercy on and protects. <laughs> my Lord is forgiving, merciful. These verses, as the author Ta'ala, is mentioning at the end of verse 51, Yusuf was informed and then he said the following. He said, In this way that he may know, meaning the Aziz, who was his former master, that he should know that I do not dishonor him behind his back. One of the, or there are two positions amongst the scholars with tafsir. The first is, as an Imam Siyuti rahimahullah ta'ala lays out, that verses 52 and 53 are from the speech of Yusuf alayhi salam. That he is the one who is saying, this meaning establishing my innocence is so that my former master knows that I did not go behind his back and I didn't do, commit adultery or fornication with his wife. And then he continues in 53, And I don't free myself from blame because the soul always commands itself, whispers to itself to do evil. In the nafsa, the way that the human soul has been made, its nature, is that it likes to turn away from the path of Allah, that it likes to do evil, that you must bring it back, the shaitan constantly whispers to you. That's one approach amongst the scholars of tafsir. The other approach, as is mentioned by Al-Mawardi in his tafsir, and the one that is supported by Ibn Kathir, and Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, and Ibn al-Qayyim, and others, is that these two verses, 52 and 53, are a continuation of the speech of the wife of the Aziz. She is the one who is saying, after she says, he was truthful, and he wasn't a person who did this. So that my husband knows that even though I wanted to commit adultery with this man, it never happened. So that he may know that it never came to pass, despite my intentions and my attempts. And then she's the one who's saying, And I don't free myself from blame because I was at fault. I was the one who tried to seduce him. I was the one who tried to... Uh, put my advances towards him, and so on. And that is, inshallah ta'ala, a clearer position, and one that is more in line with the nature of the Prophet that they, don't, they are not people who deceive or are treacherous, or people who, uh, even Allah orders them, or they, themselves are ordered to do evil in that way, as we mentioned when we were discussing the whole issue of وَهَمَّ بِهَا لَوْلَا أَرْرَآ بُرْهَانَ And he was going to approach her, were it not for the clear signs of his Lord, as we mentioned yesterday. As the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he said, indeed, shaitan runs in the body of Adam the way that blood flows in his body. And shaitan is the one that commands us to do evil. He said, O Messenger of Allah, and you as well, he said, me as well, except that I have overpowered my shaitan, the devil that, is, that was with me, I have overpowered him, and now he only commands me to do good. And that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saves and gives his divine care and protection to his Prophet والسلام, and Allah knows best. The king said, bring him to me straight away so I may draw him very close to me. I can make him a special confidant for myself without any intermediary. The messenger came to Yusuf and said, respond to the king. He rose and said goodbye to the people in the prison and made supplication for them. Then he washed himself and put on good clothes and went to the king. فَلَمَّا كَلَّمَهُ قَالَ إِنَّكَ الْيَوْمَ لَدَيْنَا مَكِينٌ أَمِينٌ When he, meaning the king, had spoken with him, he declared, Today you are trusted, established in our sight. What do you think we should do? He said, Collect the food and sow many crops in the fertile years and store up food in the air. Then many people will come to you to get provision from you. The king asked, 
Who should be in charge of that? He, meaning Yusuf, said, Entrust the country's stores, meaning the stores of Egypt, to me. In truth, I am a knowing guardian. I know how to protect, or possibly, I am a writer with knowledge of calculation. So Yusuf والسلام, and this, <coughs> this story that Asiyuti is mentioning here <coughs> concerning how he leaves prison and responds to the king and has a bath and so on is from the Israeliyat and Allah knows best about its authenticity. But one of the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does say is that Yusuf السلام, himself requests to become the treasurer of the land. And it is said that this was the position of the Aziz. The Aziz is the deputy of the king. He's the prime minister. He asked to take that position. So he would be the one in charge of the stores, the one in charge of rationing, the one in charge of giving people what they need. And that is a position that clearly requires a lot of trust and integrity. And this is a proof amongst the scholars of Islam that even though the general principle is that you don't ask or demand or covet positions of leadership, if you are the one that is most qualified in a particular scenario to take that position, then it is allowed for you to request it. Because you know that you are more qualified amongst those people who are there. For example, even in Salah, a few of you come to the masjid and there's a few people there and one of you wants to lead. And you're a hafid of the Qur'an, someone who knows the Qur'an can recite it well. And the other people you don't know, but it doesn't seem like they're hafal. And so you put yourself forward. That's allowed. Or in places of knowledge, or in terms of something like this, or in a position, or as you're traveling. And you ask for a position because you think or you believe that you are the most qualified. Based upon you know, some type of proof or some type of understanding of the situation, not just because you simply think that you are, but based upon what you see around you. And that is what Yusuf does, and clearly there is no one more qualified to this position than a Prophet of Allah. وَكَذَلِكَ مَكَّنَّا يُوسُفَ فِي الْأَرْضِ يَتَبَوَّأُ مِنْهَا حَيْثُ يَشَاءُ And thus, by delivering him from prison, we establish Yusuf in the land, meaning Egypt, so he could live in any place he pleased, after his constriction and imprisonment. It is said that the king met with him face to face and gave him the seal, and appointed him to the position of governor, having dismissed the previous incumbent. After that, the king died. Then, Yusuf married his widow and found her to be a virgin, and she bore him two children. He established justice in Egypt and people were subject to him. <coughs> we grant our grace to anyone we will. And we do not allow to go to waste the wage of any who do good. And again, the story in verse 56 is from the Israeliyat that Allah knows best as regards to his authenticity of uh, you know, him marrying. And what's usually referred to in the books of Tafsir, and I think this is a mistranslation, is not that he married the wife or the widow of the king, but the widow of the Aziz, the woman who tried to seduce him. The Aziz passes away, and then it is said that Yusuf married her after that because she repented and she, you know, kind of apologized and what have you. And then he married her, and then they had children. That's what's reported in the books of Tafsir as a story that's very common there. But again, these are narrations that we don't know the authenticity of, and Allah Azza wa knows best if that is something which a Prophet of Allah would do, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. But one thing that the King does do, as Asiyyuti Rahimullah Taala mentions, is he gives him his seal, and he gives him the vessel that we will speak about, the siqa, which is the vessel of the King. It is said that he used to use to eat and drink himself as a position of Yusuf's authority and the trust that the King has placed in him. That when people come and you want to give rations then use my own vessel as the measuring instrument. So, 
draw it out, like whether it's grain or wheat or so on, you take my vessel and that's what you use to take out the grain. So when people see the vessel of the king, they know that you have his stamp of authority, that you speak on his behalf, that what you give is what the king has judged. And Allah knows best. <clears throat> but the wages of the next world are the best, meaning better than the wages of this world for people who believe and fear their Lord. Then the years of drought came and it affected the lands of Canaan and Syria. The brothers of Yusuf, without Binyamin, came into his presence to buy food, since they had heard that the governor of Egypt sold food for a price. And he knew them, meaning Yusuf recognized his brothers, but they did not know him because it had been a long time since they had seen him, and they thought that he was dead. They spoke to him in Hebrew and he asked, as if he disapproved of them, what has brought you from your land? Need for food, they answered. Perhaps you are spies, he said. We seek refuge with Allah, they responded. Where are you from, he asked. From Canaan, they replied. Our father is Ya'qub, the prophet of Allah. He asked, does he have any children other than you? They said, yes, we are twelve. The youngest of us went and was lost in the desert. Of all of us, he was the one who our father loved most. He kept his full brother with him to console him for his loss. Yusuf commanded that they be given hospitality and honored. So in verse 58 now, Allah has made the cause by which the brothers of Yusuf are now dependent on coming to Yusuf السلام, and seeking his help because the drought and famine has affected everyone, including the people of Yaqub and his family. السلام. And Yaqub, it is said, lived in a place called Kanaan, which is Canaan. Canaan. And so they, that is where they came from. They come to Yusuf السلام, and then this long discourse that is between them is from the statements of the Suddi, who is one of the early scholars of Tafsir. And it's not a narration from the Prophet ﷺ. And again, Allah knows best what transpired between them in terms of that initial conversation. Then, having supplied their needs and given them the measure of grain they came to procure, he said to them, Bring me your brother, Binyamin, your father's youngest son, so that I may know that you are speaking the truth. Do you not see that I dispense full measure without stinting and I'm the most hospitable of hosts? So in, in verse 59, Yusuf Islam asks them, Are you, is this all of you? Is there someone that you left behind? Knowing very well that they have left one of their other brothers behind, Binyamin, or in biblical terms, Benjamin. And Benjamin is the second most beloved of the children of Yaqub to him. And just as he was very protective over Yusuf. He is very protective over Benjamin. And so when they come, Yusuf says, If you want your full measure, you want everything that is owed to you, I need to see all of you. It's not good enough that some of you come and some of you go back. I don't know how many of you there are. Maybe there's more of you that you haven't bought. I don't know. So you need to bring all of you. Don't you see that if you come, I am generous because he was hospitable to them and gave them help. But if you do not bring him here to me, your measure from me then will be denied, meaning you will not be able to buy any grain, and you will not come near to me at all. They said, we will ask our father for him, meaning we will try to ask him to send him with us. That is something we will surely do. He told his serving men, 
read as fityanihi and fityatihi put back their goods, meaning dirhams, which they have brought to pay for their measure into their saddlebags for them to find when they arrive back to their families and open their bags, so that perhaps they will return again, because they will not think it proper to keep them. So Allah, so Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying that Yusuf السلام, as he sends them back, the little money that they had, which, which they paid for the grain and the, and the measure that they were given, Yusuf السلام, told his servants to put that money back in their saddlebags. So when they go home, they see it. And the scholars of Tafsir differ as to why he did this. Is it because it was a challenge to them that when they saw that money, they will think that now they would feel com- compelled to go back because he's taken their money and amongst their people in their custom, it was considered to be extremely dishonorable that you take the money back that you've given or that you ex- accidentally get it back. Or however, they would feel obliged and compelled to have to go back. And that's what Yusuf Islam did to ensure that they would return with Benjamin because now they've said to him, we're going to bring back Benjamin as well. So now they feel compelled to go back, but they can't go back as they were before. They have to take their brother because that's the assurance that they gave him last time. And that is from the way that Yusuf Islam dealt with them and their behavior towards him. Or amongst other scholars of tafsir, he gave the money back because he feared that they didn't have anything else. People are in drought and famine, and this is his family at the end of the day, so he gave it back. Or, number three, because it is not from their wealth, but from the wealth of their father, Yaqub, alayhi salam. And he felt ashamed or embarrassed that he should take from the wealth of his father, Yaqub, alayhi salam. And Allah knows best. فَلَمَّا رَجَعُوا إِلَىٰ أَبِيهِمْ قَالُوا يَا أَبَانَا مُنِعَ مِنَّ الْكَيْلِ then when they got back to their father's house, they said, Father, our measure will be denied if you do not send our brother to him. Please send our brother with us so we may obtain our measure. Read as naktal and yaktal, in which case the meaning becomes the measure may be obtained. We will take care of him. Naktal and yaktal. Naktal, we will get our full measure. Yaktal, he will get our full measure. Not that the full measure will be obtained, he will get the full measure, meaning Benjamin, Benjamin. Because by him going, we fill our quota and he will be the one who will give us or make sure that we get our full due. He said, how will my trusting him to your care be different from entrusting his brother Yusuf before, when you did what you did? The best of guardians, read as Hafidhan and Hifdhan, however, is Allah. He is the most merciful of the merciful, and I hope that He will protect me. Then, when they opened up their saddlebags and found their merchandise returned to them, they said, Our father, what more could we ask? Meaning, what greater generosity from the king could we ask for than this? They addressed this to Yaqub to point out how the king had honored them. Here is our merchandise returned to us. We can provide our families with food and guard our brother and get an extra load for him. That is an easy measure to obtain, meaning it is easy for the king because he is generous. He said, I will not send him out with you until you make covenant with Allah, meaning swear an oath to bring him home 
unless you are overwhelmed by being killed or defeated, so that you cannot bring him. They did as he asked. When they had made the covenant concerning that, he said, Allah is guardian over what we say. So he sent him with them. He said, my sons, you must, must not enter Egypt through a single gate. Go in through different gates, so that no one sentry sees you all. But I cannot save you, save you from Allah at all, in respect of what he has decreed for you by saying that. For judgment comes from no one but Allah. It is just because of the great compassion I feel for you. In him I put my trust and let all those who put their trust put it in him alone. In verse 67, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that Yaqub agrees and he sends Benjamin with them. But he says to them, as you go back to Egypt, as you enter, don't enter through a single gate. Because in those days, cities have gates and walls. Gates that people enter through, as they used to have in those olden times. When you go to Egypt, don't go through a single gate, but spread out and go, each of you, through a different gate. Through a different gate. There is a mistranslation here. The translator says, go through different gates so that no one sentry sees you all. And what Asiyyuti Rahimullah Ta'ala says, لِأَلَّا يُصِيبَكُمُ الْعَيْنِ And I think that the translation understood Ayn mean, means that someone's watching you. But Ayn in this context means the evil eye. Don't go through a single gate lest the evil eye should afflict you. And this is the position of Ibn Abbas and Mujahid and Qatada amongst others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir alayhim rahmatullah. That Yusuf Ya'qub was afraid for them because of their beauty. And they were extremely handsome. Just as Yusuf is the most handsome of them, the rest of them are still handsome. So he's saying if you all, 12, 11 of you, go through a single gate at the single time with your handsome features, people will look at you. And they will cast the evil eye upon you. And that's why he says, وَمَا مِنَ اللَّهِ مِنْ For I cannot protect you if Allah has decreed something for you to happen. But this is from the means that we take. And that is a position and a methodology in our sharia that you take the necessary precautions that you can take and you entrust everything else to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Uthman radiallahu anhu said, when he saw an extremely handsome young child, he said to his mother, don't expose him like that in the way that you are doing. Meaning that you should be careful in the way that you expose him because of the way that people may look towards him. And so this is what he's referring to. Not that the sentries will see him, but that the evil eye May afflict them. Allah continues. But when they entered by different gates, as their father said, it did not save them from the decree of Allah at all. Yet a need in Ya'qub's soul was satisfied, meaning his compassion made him want to avert the attention of the sentries from them. He had knowledge which we had taught him. But most of mankind, meaning the unbelievers, simply do not know about Allah's inspiration to his friends. And in verse 68, the same thing. His compassion made him want to avert the attention of the sentries from them. As Yuthi says, made him want to avert the evil eye from them. That's what's being referred to in both of those verses. 
ولما دخلوا على يوسف آوى إليه أخاه. Then when they entered into Yusuf's presence, he drew his brother close to him, embracing him. قال إني أنا أخوك and said, I am your brother. فلا تبتئس بما كانوا يعملون. Do not be distressed concerning all the things they used to do out of envy towards us. He ordered him not to tell them and to remain with him, and that he would contrive a way for him to stay with him. فَلَمَّا جَهَّزَهُمْ بِجَهَازِهِمْ جَعَلَ السِّقَايَةَ فِي رَحْلِ أَخِيهِ Then, when he had supplied them with their needs, he put the goblet, a gold vessel encrusted with gems, in his brother's, meaning Binyamin's bag. ثُمَّ أَذَّنَ مُؤَذِّنٌ أَيَّتُهَا الْعِيرُ إِنَّكُمْ لَسَارِقُونَ A herald called out when they had left the assembly of Yusuf, caravan, you are thieves. And that is the goblet that the king had entrusted to Yusuf that he would take the measurements with in verse number 17. So he asks his servants to put it into the bag of Binyamin. And it is something therefore which belongs to the king. They turned to them and asked, What are you missing? They said, We are missing the goblet of the king. The man who brings it will get a camel's load of food. Of that I stand as a guarantor. They said, By Allah, you know we did not come to corrupt the land and that we are not thieves, meaning we have never stolen. This is an oath which implies amazement and surprise. They, meaning the herald and his fellows, said, What is the reparation for it? Meaning, what should be done with the thief? If it in fact transpires that you are liars about being thieves and the goblet is found in your possession. <coughs> they said, Its reparation shall be him in the saddle bags of whom it is discovered, meaning the thief. Among us, that is how wrongdoers are repaid. The thief would be enslaved on account of his theft. That was the custom of the family of Yaqub in case of theft. They told Yusuf that he should search their bags. In verse 75, as Ibn Kathir <coughs> says, it was from the Sharia of Ibrahim السلام, and therefore from the Sharia that Yaqub continued. But it was amongst the Sharia that if a person was, was caught as a thief, they would be given, that person would be handed over to the person that they stole from to become their servant. They would have possession of them. That was how they used to deal with thievery in their sharia. And that is what is being referred to here. And that is why Yusuf السلام, puts the goblet in his bag because he knows therefore by finding the goblet in his bag, his brothers would have no other choice based upon their own laws except to say to him, okay, you can now take Benjamin or Benjamin. He started with their bags before his brothers and searched them so that they would not suspect anything. And then produced it, meaning the goblet, from his brother's bag. Allah continues, In that way, we devised a cunning scheme for Yusuf, meaning we taught him a means of taking his brother. مَا كَانَ لِيَأْخُذَ أَخَاهُ فِي دِينِ الْمَلِكِ إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهِ He could not have held his brother 
meaning as a slave for theft, according to the statutes of the king in the law of the king of Egypt, because the penalty for theft was beating and being liable for the equivalent of the object stolen, not enslavement, only because Allah had willed it so, meaning Allah willed that he take him by the judgment of his own tribe. This means that the only way he could take him was by Allah inspiring him to question his brothers, who answered according to their custom. We raise the rank of anyone we will, such as Yusuf. Over everyone with knowledge in creation is a knower, meaning Allah who knows better than them. Rasulullah is saying in verse 76 that the law of the king of Egypt was different to the laws of Yaqub The law of the king is that a thief is beaten and then he's let go. And that is why Allah says that we made it's easy for Yusuf to take his brother because we inspired him, we revealed to him that he should do the questioning in that way, which is basically verses 71, 72, 73, 74. He makes them acknowledge that they would hand him over before he searches their bags. He doesn't search the bags and then say, okay, now what do we do? He actually makes them agree to follow their customs, their principles, their laws, their sharia, and then he searches the saddlebags, and Allah knows best. <coughs> They said, if he steals now, his brother, meaning Yusuf, stole before. He had stole a gold idol belonging to his mother's father and broke, and broke it so that he would not worship it. That Yusuf kept it to himself and, and still did not disclose it to them. Saying to himself, the plight that you are in is worse than that, meaning worse than that of Yusuf and his brother, since you stole your brother from his father and wronged him. Allah knows best the matter you describe. In verse 77, they say that if he stole, then he had a brother before who stole. If Benjamin stole, then he had a brother a long time ago called Yusuf who did the same thing. And the scholars, as you can see of Tafsir, differ as to what that is referring to. Asiyuti rahimahullah ta'ala takes a position of Qatada. That is, that when Yusuf was a young child, he saw one of his grandparents used to have an idol. And so he went one day and he stole it and he broke it. And so that is the theft that they are referring to. And in the opinion of Mujahid, it is referring to his aunt, the sister of Yaqub. Because Yusuf was an extremely intelligent and handsome young child. And his sister, meaning the aunt of, ya- aunt of Yusuf, the sister of Yaqub, she used to like for Yusuf to come to her house and spend time with her. And then she said to her brother Yaqub, the Prophet of Allah, Oh Yaqub, you have twelve sons, give him to me, meaning let me, let him be under my guardianship, let me look after him, almost adopt him, keep him, and you have eleven others. But we know Yaqub loved him more than anyone, so he refused. So what she did then in order to take him from Yaqub is she put a, a, some type of jewelry in his bag that it would be discovered that he took from her house. So that then, therefore, Yaqub according to their laws, would have no other choice except to say to her, okay, you can keep him for a while until she passes away and then he comes back onto the custodianship of his father. And all of these are from Israeli traditions. There is nothing authentic in that regard. And as Shaykh ta'ala said that the purpose of the verse is to show how evil the brothers were in terms of their character. That they claim that both of them, if this was a man, if this is a, uh, someone who stole, he had a brother before who was similar to him in terms of his character. That is what is being referred to, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. They 
They said, Your Eminence, he has an old and venerable father who loves him more than he loves us and is consoled by him for his last son, and it would grieve him to be parted from him. So take one of us to enslave instead of him. We see without a doubt that you are of the people who do good. He said, Allah forbid that we should take anyone but him with whom our goods were found. He did not say, the one who stole to avoid telling a lie. In that case, if we took someone else, we would clearly be wrongdoers. When they despaired of him, they went apart to talk alone among themselves. The eldest of them, Wubil or Yahuda, said, You know full well your father had you make a covenant with Allah concerning this, meaning your brother, and how before you failed him with Yusuf. فَلَنْ أَبْرَحَ الْأَرْضَ حَتَّى يَأْذَنَ لِي أَبِي أَوْ يَحْكُمَ اللَّهُ لِي I will not leave this land of Egypt until I have permission from my father to return to him or Allah decides about the case on my behalf by releasing my brother. وَهُوَ خَيْرُ الْحَاكِمِينَ Truly, he is the justest judge of all. In, in verse 80, the eldest of them, and it said, he's the same one who when they wanted to kill him, said, don't kill him, throw him down the wall. So he's the one who is slightly more sensible amongst those brothers. And now he is saying, that we made another covenant now with our father that we've broken. I am going to wait here to see what transpires. You go back and tell the story to our father. <coughs> Return now to your father and say to him, Your son stole, father. We can do no more than testify to what we know, since we certainly witnessed the discovery of the gobbler in his bag. وَمَا كُنَّا لِلْغَيْبِ حَافِظِينَ And we are not the guardians of the unseen. Meaning, we do not know what had happened when we offered the security. If we had known that he was a thief, we would not have taken him with us. وَاسْأَلِ الْقَرْيَةَ الَّتِي كُنَّا فِيهَا وَالْعِيرَ الَّتِي أَقْبَلْنَا فِيهَا وَإِنَّا لَصَادِقُونَ Ask questions of the town in which we were, meaning in Egypt. In other words, send someone to its people and ask them, and of the people of the caravan in which we came, who were people of Canaan, for we are surely telling you the truth. They went to their father and told him that. He said, it is merely that your lower self suggested and made him attractive to you, something to you, which you did. He suspected them because of what had happened before with Yusuf. But beauty lies in my having steadfastness. Perhaps Allah will bring them, meaning Yusuf and his brothers, all together. He is indeed all-knowing of my states and all-wise in what he does. In verse 83, this is a repetition of what, Yusuf, what Yaqub says the first time when Yusuf is taken. He says, For sabun jameel. Patience is more befitting. And Allah's help is sought in terms of what you ascribe or what you describe. The second time, that's the first time. The second time Allah Azzawajal says that he saw within this further challenge now of the other sin being taken, he saw hope. فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ Patience is more befitting. Perhaps Allah will bring them all back for me. And that is his 
trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it shows a principle in our sharia that when things become extremely difficult and almost to an unbearable point, that is often when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help and divine aid comes. And so he saw, even though this is a greater calamity and a second calamity or a further calamity to his many hardships, he saw within it a sign of relief from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He stopped speaking to them and turned himself away from them and said, What anguish is my sorrow for Yusuf? And then his eyes turned white from hidden grief due to the intensity of weeping because of his deep sorrow. The word used, kawim, describes someone who is suffering intense sorrow and grief but does not show it. In, in verse 84, uh, Yusuf uh, is expressing his sorrow and he says, he uses this word, Ya Asafa ala Yusuf. What anguish is my sorrow for Yusuf? Sa'id ibn Jubayr, rahimahullah ta'ala, was one of the students of the companions from the Tabi'een. He has a very interesting statement here, and he says, This verse shows that from the things that Allah Azza wa Jal honored this Ummah with and made special and specific to this Ummah is the statement, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Because had that been something which the prophets before knew, then Yaqub would have said it. In times of calamity, you say to Allah, we belong to him, we shall return. And the fact that he didn't say it shows that it wasn't something that Allah Azza gave to those previous prophets and nations. That it is something in our time. So when we have calamities like this, the sunnah isn't that we say, oh woe to me, oh anguish, or anything else. But we begin by remembering Allah as the Prophet said, whoever says that, and says, oh Allah, reward me in my calamity. And give me something better in its place, Allah will reward them and give them something better in its place. قالوا تالله تفتأ تذكر يوسف حتى تكون حرضا أو تكون من الهالكين. They said by Allah you will not ever cease to mention Yusuf till you waste away and are at the point of death owing to the length of your illness or are among the people of the grave. Meaning that it's the second sin that's been taken and you're remembering the first one. Decades have passed and you're still in that first grief of yours and if this has done anything it's just further your grief for Yusuf He said to them, I make complaint about my grief. The word used, beth, means an immense sorrow which cannot normally be borne without telling people about it. I make complaint about my grief and sorrow to Allah alone and none other. Because he is the only one who can answer my complaint. And I know things from Allah you do not know about the dream of Yusuf which was true. And so he had to be alive for it to be fulfilled. Then Yaqub said, In, in verse 86, <coughs> Imam Bukhari ta'ala in his Sahih, he mentions the narration that when Umar would read this verse, verse number 86, he would cry. One of the scholars of the Tabi'een said that I was at the back of the masjid, meaning the Prophet's masjid in Medina sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And Umar was reciting this verse and I could hear his crying from the very back of the masjid. And it is something that would make him cry, I complain of my grief and sorrow only to Allah alone. And I've heard from some scholars and Allah knows best, is that this verse, just as Ya'qub two of his sons were taken away from him, Yusuf and Benjamin, this verse would remind Umar of the two most beloved people to him that had passed away, the Prophet and Abu Bakr and that is why this verse would often make him cry, and Allah knows best. My sons, seek news of Yusuf and his brothers. 
Do not despair of solace, meaning mercy from Allah. No one despairs of solace from Allah except for people who are unbelievers. So they went towards Egypt looking for news of Yusuf. So when they came into his presence, they said, Your eminence, hardship, meaning hunger, has hit us and our families. We bring scant merchandise, which would normally be refused by people who saw it. Some debased dirhams and similar things. But fulfill the measure for us generously, in spite of the poorness of our goods. Allah always rewards a generous giver. Allah rewards the generous, singles them out, bestows his mercy on them, and removes the veil between himself and them. In verse 88, the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fulfilled the measure for us. The translators have said generously. But what Allah is saying that they said, fulfill fill our measure for us in full, and be extra charitable towards us, meaning give us something on top of this as well, the meaning referring to and return our brother to us. That's what's being referred to here. So fill our measure, meaning give us our rations in full, and be extra charitable on top of this. And the extra charity and goodness that you can do for us is by allowing our brother to return home with us. He said to rebuke them, are you aware of what you did to Yusuf? Meaning their beating and selling of him and his brother, meaning their wronging of him after his brother had left in ignorance. You were ignorant of what happened to Yusuf. They said, after they recognized him and his qualities became clear to them, asking this to confirm it, Are you Yusuf? He said, I am indeed Yusuf, and this here is my brother. Allah has acted graciously to us and blessed us by reuniting us. As for those who fear Allah and are steadfast in respect of what befalls them, Allah does not allow to go to waste the wage of any people who do good. They said, By Allah, Allah has favored you and preferred you above us with sovereignty and other things. Clearly, we were in the wrong in what we did to you, and so we are now humbled before you. He said, No blame at all will fall on you. He said this because it was likely that there would be blame. Today, you have forgiveness from Allah. He is the most merciful of the merciful. He asked them about his father, and they said that he had lost his sight. Then he said to them, and it is reported that the Prophet said this in verse 92. He said the same thing to the people of Mecca on the day of the conquest of Mecca. When he gathered them and he said to them, What do you think that I will do to you? And they said, You are our generous, noble brother, the son of our generous and noble brother. Which is a statement that the Arabs used to do when they would want favor from someone and goodness from someone. So the Prophet said to them, وسلم, I will say to you, as Yusuf said to his brothers, لا تثريب عليكم اليوم. No blame will fall on you today. 
And this is from those examples of the importance of the science of the Quran that we mentioned before Al-Waqfu Wal-Ibtida Science of knowing how to stop and start in the Quran As we mentioned in the example before of إِنَّمَا يَسْتَجِيبُ الَّذِينَ يَسْمَعُونَ وَالْمَوْتَى يَبْعَثُهُمُ اللَّهُ ثُمَّ إِلَيْهِ يُرْجَعُونَ This is the verse where you can stop in two ways لَا تَثْرِيبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الْيَوْمُ No one, no blame at all will fall on you today يَغْفِرُ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ And Allah will forgive you at some point in the future Or as Ismail read لَا تَثْرِيبَ عَلَيْكُمْ There will be no blame on you الْيَوْمَ يَغْفِرُ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ Today Allah will forgive you And so depending on how you stop in the recitation of the verse It is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changes the meaning of When that forgiveness of Allah Azza wa Jal comes And both stoppings are correct And therefore both meanings are correct And Allah knows best اِذْهَبُوا بِقَمِيصِ هَذَا Go with this shirt of mine The shirt of Ibrahim which he had been wearing when he was thrown into the fire And which was with Yusuf in the well It came from paradise Jibreel had been commanded to send it and, it and said that it contained the scent of paradise And when it is thrown on anyone suffering from an illness, he is cured فَأَلْقُوهُ عَلَى وَجْهِ أَبِي يَأْتِ بَصِيرًا And cast it on my father's face and he will see again وَأْتُونِي بِأَهْلِكُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ Then come to me with all your families and this narration in, in verse 93 of the shirt of Yusuf being the shirt of Ibrahim that he had and was wearing at the time he was thrown in the wild and then seemed to continue to wear and keep now that it's been many decades later seems to be a, a, a it is an Israelite tradition and it's not an authentic narration and, and it seems uh, not to be the case and what seems more apparent is that it's his own shirt that it's what he was wearing not Ibrahim's, not from Jannah, not having any special scent it is his own shirt and so that is what he gave to his brothers to take to his father. وَلَمَّا فَصَلَتِ الْعِيرُ قَالَ أَبُوهُمْ إِنِّي لَأَجِدُ رِيحَ يُوسُفِ And when the caravan went on its way and they left Egypt, their father, Ya'qub, said to those of his sons and grandchildren who were present, I can smell Yusuf's scent. He had caught scent of him on the wind by Allah's permission at a distance of seven or eight days or more. لَوْلَا أَن تُفَنِّدُونَ You probably think I have become senile and foolish. Imam Malik Ta'ala was asked concerning this verse 94 How did the scent of Yusuf's shirt How did the scent of Yusuf reach his father Yaqub When there was such a great distance between them And he replied Rahimahullah the same way That the throne of Bilqis came to the court of Suleiman In the blink of an eye they said to him, By Allah, your mind is still astray. You are misled because of your excessive love for him into, hype, into hoping to find him after all this time. But when the bringer of the good news came, Yahuda, who had brought Yusuf's shirt with false blood and who wanted to make him happy as he had made him sad, he cast it, meaning the shirt, on his face and sight returned. He said, Did I not say to you before that I know things from Allah you do not know? They said, Our Father, may we be forgiven for all the many wrongs that we have done. We were indeed greatly mistaken. He said, I will ask my Lord to pardon you. He is ever forgiving, most merciful. 
He delayed that supplication until dawn so that it would be more likely to be answered or until Friday night. Then they went to Egypt and Yusuf and the great men came out to meet them. Then when they entered into Yusuf's presence, meaning his pavilion, he drew his parents, meaning his father and mother or aunt, close to him, meaning embraced them. And said to them, Enter Egypt, safe and sound, if Allah wills. They entered and Yusuf was sitting on his throne. In verse 99, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the family of Yusuf is reunited. Allah says he drew his parents close to him. And as Suyuti rahimahullah in his commentary says his father, that is Yaqub, and there's no issue with that. And then he says, and mother or aunt. And that is because there are two opinions amongst the scholars of Tafsir. The first is that it was his mother that came with Yaqub alayhi salam. And the second opinion is that it is his aunt. And what it means by aunt is stepmother. Because that is how the Arabs used to refer to that step. As in many cultures, you refer to your stepmother as aunt. And so they say, as Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah chose the position, that the wife of Yaqub alayhi had passed away and he had got remarried. And it is therefore his stepmother that is coming, that he refers to as an aunt. She is the one that is being referred to in terms of his parents. And what seems more apparent from the verse of the Quran, and Allah knows best, is that it is his actual parents, his mother and father. And that is the dream that he saw that Allah fulfills. Because the dream that he sees as a child is that his parents are making sajda before him. And this is the fulfillment of that dream, and Allah knows best. He raised his parents up onto the throne. And sitting them with him, the others, as well as his parents, fell prostrate in front of him. He prostrated to him by bowing low, not by actual prostration with the forehead on the ground. It was their greeting at that time. He said, my father, truly, this is now the interpretation of the dream I had. My Lord has made it all come true. وَقَدْ أَحْسَنَ بِي إِذْ أَخْرَجَنِي مِنَ السِّجْنِ وَجَاءَ بِكُمْ مِنَ الْبَدْوِ مِنْ بَعْدِ أَنْ نَزَغَ الشَّيْطَانُ بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ إِخْوَتِي And he was kind to me by letting me out of prison. He did not mention the world out of generosity so that his brothers would not be embarrassed. And brought you from the desert when shaytan has caused descent and unsettled things between me and my brothers. إِنَّ رَبِّي لَطِيفٌ لِمَا يَشَاءٌ my Lord is, is kind to anyone he wills. He is indeed all-knowing of his creation and all-wise in what he does. His parents stayed with him for a further 24 or 27 years. He had been apart, he had been apart from them for 18 or 40 or 80 years. When Yaqub died, Yusuf ordered that he should be taken and buried with his father, Ishaq. He took himself and buried him there with him. Then he returned to Egypt and stayed there 23 years more. When his time was over and he knew that he would not live longer, his soul yearned for the eternal king and said, And so this in, in verse number 100, when Allah Azza wa says, وَقَدْ أَحْسَنَ بِي ذَخْرَجَنِي مِنَ السِّجْنِ That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was kind to me by letting me out of prison. As youth, he says, he did not mention the word out of generosity so that his brothers would not be embarrassed. Which is true. But a greater meaning of that verse, and Allah knows best, is that it is from his etiquettes in the way that he refers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah's decree. That he doesn't 
refer to Allah's decree in a negative way. He doesn't associate and ascribe the negative phases and parts of his life, the calamities and challenges to Allah. But what he ascribes to Allah is the positive outcome. وَقَدْ أَحْسَنَ بِي إِذْ أَخْرَجَنِي My Lord was kind to me when he allowed me to leave prison. Even though Allah decreed everything that comes before that as well, including the hardships and calamities. And then he ascribes to shaitan what is negative. نَزَغَ الشَّيْطَانُ بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ إِخْوَتِي It is shaitan who caused that discontent, that, that, that enmity between me and my brothers. And that is from the beautiful etiquettes of the prophets of Allah Azza wa and therefore from the etiquettes that a Muslim should have. As the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Al-Khayru Biyadayk Washarru Laysa Ilayk He would say, all good is from Allah and we do not ascribe evil to him Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala from our respect and the way that we show etiquettes to him Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala And then this very long narration that he mentions at the end of the 20 years and the 80 years and the 40 years and then Yaqub dying and all of, all of that is from again the Israelite traditions and Allah Azza wa knows best about their authenticity رَبِّ قَدْ آتَيْتَنِي مِنَ الْمُلْكِ وَعَلَّمْتَنِي مِنْ تَأْوِيلِ الْأَحَادِيثِ My Lord, you have granted sovereignty to me and taught me the true meaning of events, meaning how to interpret dreams. فَاطِرَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Originator, meaning creator of the heavens and earth. أَنْتَ وَلِيِّي فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ You are my friend in this world and the next. You attend to my best interests. تَوَفَّنِي مُسْلِمًا وَأَلْحِقَنِي بِالصَّالِحِينَ So take me as a Muslim at my death and join me to the people who are righteous among my ancestors. He lived a week or more after that and died at the age of 120. The Egyptians placed him in a coffin of marble and buried him on the bank of the upper Nile so that the blessing would spread on its sides. Glory be to the one whose kingdom does not end. And again Allah Azza knows best about the authenticity of these narrations. ذَلِكَ مِنْ أَنْبَاءِ الْغَيْبِ نُوحِيهِ إِلَيْكِ This, what has been narrated about Yusuf, is news of the unseen, that was unknown to you, Muhammad wasallam before, which we reveal to you. وَمَا كُنْتَ لَدَيْهِمْ إِذْ أَجْمَعُوا أَمْرَهُمْ وَهُمْ يَمْكُرُونَ You were not with them, meaning the brothers of Yusuf, when they decided what to do, and plotted and resolved on it, and devised their scheme about him. You are not with them to know his story and be aware of it. Your knowledge of it comes from revelation. But most people, including the people of Mecca, for all your eagerness for them to believe, are not believers. You do not ask them for any wage for it, meaning the Quran. It, meaning the Quran, is only a reminder, a warning and admonition to all beings. How many signs there are in the heavens and earth that indicate the oneness of Allah which they witness? Yet they pass them by, turning away from them and not reflecting on them. Most of them do not believe in Allah, since they do not affirm that He is a creator and provider, without associating others with Him by worshipping other idols with Him. That is why they used to say in their talbiyah, at your service you have no partner except a partner who is yours. You rule him and he does not rule. And this is what is referred to in 106, Allah is saying that the vast majority of people who believe in Allah make shift with Him. Meaning that they don't deny Allah's existence or some of Allah's powers and abilities, but they still make shift with Him. Which shows to us 
that the shirk of the people of Jahiliyyah of Quraysh was not a shirk in Allah's lordship, meaning that they didn't deny that Allah existed or that Allah was the creator or the provider or the sustainer or that he controlled life and death and gave benefit and harm. But what they disbelieved in and what the cause of their shirk was is that they disbelieved in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's right to be worshipped alone, that he was free of partner. And that is what the author is referring to here in the talbiyah that they would make. They would say, لَبَّيْكَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَكْ إِلَّا شَرِيكًا هُوَ لَكْ تَمْلِكُهُ وَمَا مَلَكْ They would say, you have no partner except a partner who is yours. You rule him and he does not rule. Meaning that they affirm that Allah is greater than the idols that they worship alongside him. That he controls them as well. That they are only intermediaries between them and between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is an important principle of Tawheed to understand between what the people of Quraysh used to believe in and accept. And despite that belief that they had in Allah's power and ability, it still led them to committing shirk. And the Prophet still fought them and Allah still calls them disbelievers. And then what we have today amongst unfortunately some of the Muslims, which is worse, that even some of those attributes of Allah's lordship and kingship, they will give to other than him subhanahu wa ta'ala. أَفَأَمِنُوا أَن تَأْتِيَهُمْ غَاشِيَةٌ مِّنْ عَذَابِ اللَّهِ أَوْ تَأْتِيَهُمُ السَّاعَةُ بَغْتَةً وَهُمْ لَا يَشْعُرُونَ Do they feel secure that the all enveloping punishment of Allah, meaning His revenge, will not come upon them suddenly, or that the last hour will not come upon them all of a sudden when they least expect it? قُلْ هَذِهِ سَبِيلِي Say to them, this is my way. أَدْعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ عَلَى بَصِيرَةٍ أَنَا وَمَنِ اتَّبَعَنِي it is that I call to the deen of Allah with inner sight, meaning clear proof. I and all who follow me and believe in me. Glory be to Allah. He is free of partners. I am not one of the idolaters. We sent none before you but men inspired with revelation. Read as Yuha and Nuha. We inspire. Not angels from among the people of the cities. Cities are mentioned because the people in them are more knowledgeable and sensible than the people of the deserts, who are coarse and ignorant. Have they, meaning the people of Mecca, not traveled in the land and seen the final fate of those before them, meaning the end and outcome of other peoples who were destroyed for their denial of their messengers? The abode of the next world, meaning the garden, is better for those who are God-fearing and fearful of Allah. So, will you not use your intellect? Whereas, ta'qilun and ya'qilun. Will they not use their intellect? Then, when the messengers despaired and thought themselves denied, whereas, kudhibu and kudhibu, in other words, they thought that no one would believe in them, and the nations thought that their messengers would not have their promised help, our help came to them, and those we willed were saved. Read as Nujia and Nunji. Our violent force, meaning punishment, cannot be averted from people who are evildoers, meaning the idolaters. In verse 10, that is the principle that we mentioned of Yaqub seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hope in the second calamity of losing the second son that he faces. And that is what Allah Azza wa is saying that when the prophets and messengers thought that there was no 
they despaired and they thought that the issue had become so big and that the challenge had become so great that is when Allah Azzawajal often sent to him sent to them the the, uh, the relief that he gave to them subhanahu wa ta'ala as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the battle of Badr before the battle because the Quraysh outnumber them so much and they are so few amongst the Muslim ranks and they are weak and not very well equipped and the Prophet ﷺ is there raising his hands high into the sky making dua and saying, Oh Allah, if today this group of Muslims is destroyed, you will never be worshipped alone on the face of earth again. Meaning this is all of the people of Tawheed, more or less. If they die, then who is there to spread your religion? And then his cloak fell off his shoulders and Abu Bakr comes and he puts it back on his shoulders and says, Oh Messenger of Allah, enough, your Lord will never forsake you. And that is because it is at that time of extreme difficulty that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends his help. And that is the same principle in many of our situations. There is often when the situation becomes unbearable, difficult, you don't see any light, you don't see any, any escape, any exit, you don't know when relief will come, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens his doors of mercy and blessing and grace and bounty upon you. There is instruction in their stories, meaning the stories of the messengers. For people of intelligence. This Quran is not a narration which has been invented, but confirmation of all divine books that came before, a clarification of everything that is necessary in the deen, and a guidance away from misguidance, and a mercy for people who believe. Those who believe are singled out for mention because they are the ones who benefit from the Quran. And his contents. Surah Al-Ra'd, Thunder. This surah is Meccan except for the ayat. Those who disbelieve will not see it. Ayah 32. And those who disbelieve say, You are not a messenger. Ayah 43. Or else it is Medinan except for the two ayat, even if they were a Quran. Verses 32 and 33. It has 43, 45, or 46 ayat. So this is Surah Al-Ra'd, the 13th chapter of the Quran. Now, Ra'd means thunder. And that is the thing that it is famously known by in all of the books of Quran and Tafsir. That the name of the surah is called Ra'ad. And the scholars say because Allah will speak about Ra'ad and the thunder within this and it will come in verse 13. There are 43 uh, verses in this surah according to our Mus'haf. And it is a Makki surah in the opinion of many of the scholars like Al-Hasan, Al-Basri, and Al-Iqlima, and Ata and others. And then you can see that other scholars like Muqatil said that there are some exceptions to that general principle and some of its verses were Medina. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alif Lam Allah knows best what the letters mean. Tilka ayatul kitab. Those are the signs of the book, meaning the Quran. والذي أنزل إليك من ربك الحق ولكن أكثر الناس لا يؤمنون. And what has been sent down to you from your Lord, meaning the Quran, is the truth, and there is no room for doubt regarding it. But most people, including the people of Mecca, do not believe that it is from Allah Almighty. And as we mentioned before concerning these opening letters of certain <coughs> surahs, like Alif Lam Mim Ra, the Arsuti Rahmanullah Taala says Allah knows best what is intended by it, and it's something which. I'm not going to always repeat, but that is the general principle across all of the, these letters as and when you find them at the beginning of the surahs in the Qur'an. Allah, who is the one 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 who is the one
Allah is He who raised up the heavens without any support. He tells the truth about it having no support. You can see. And then established himself firmly on the throne in a manner which befits him. He made the sun and moon subservient. Each running in its own orbit for a specified term up until the day of rising. He directs the whole affair, decreeing what will happen in his kingdom. He makes the signs of his power clear so that perhaps you, meaning people of Mecca, will be certain about the meeting with your Lord at the resurrection. In verse number 2, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah الذي رفع السماوات بغير عمد ترونها Allah is he who raised up the heavens without any support that you can see. And the scholars have two different approaches as to what that means. The first is, as As-Suthi ta'ala is saying, that Allah Azza has created the heaven and there's no pillars, as you can see. There's nothing to support the heavens. And the other position amongst some of the scholars of tafsir is that Allah has raised up the heavens without any support that is visible to you, meaning that you can see. That it is there, but you cannot see it. And so you have both of those positions amongst the scholars of tafsir. And then Allah says, al-arsh, which Ta'ala mentions in, in accordance to the belief of Al-Sunnah in the manner which befits His Majesty. But I think in the translation of Istawa al-Arsh, it is better to say that Allah ascended above His throne rather than established Himself firmly, that He ascended above His throne, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that is the meaning of Istiwa. وَهُوَ الَّذِي مَدَّ الْأَرْضَ وَجَعَلَ فِيهَا رَوَاسِيَ وَأَنْهَارًا It is he who has stretched out the earth and placed many created firmly embedded mountains and rivers in it. وَمِنْ كُلِّ الثَّمَرَاتِ جَعَلَ فِيهَا زَوْجَيْنِ اثْنَيْنِ And made two types of every kind of fruit. يُغْشِ اللَّيْلَ النَّهَارُ He covers over day the darkness of night. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ There are signs of Allah's oneness in that for people who reflect on the handiwork of Allah. وَفِي الْأَرْضِ قِطَعٌ مُتَجَاوِرَاتٍ In the earth there are diverse regions side by side, different, different areas which adjoin one another, some are good, some saline, with little wind or much wind, all of which are among the signs of Allah's power. وَجَنَّاتٌ مِّنْ أَعْنَابٍ وَزَرْعٌ وَنَخِيلٌ صِنْوَانٌ وَغَيْرُ صِنْوَانٍ يُسْقَى بِمَاءٍ وَاحِدٍ And gardens of grapes and cultivated fields and palm trees sharing one root, meaning palm trees which have a single root from which they branch out, and others with individual roots, all watered, red as, يُسْقَى and تُسْقَى with the same water. وَنُفَضِّلُ بَعْضَهَا عَلَى بَعْضٍ فِي الْأُكُلِ and we make some things better, read as nufabilu and nufabilu. He makes things better to eat, read as ukul and ukl, than others. Some things are sweet and some are bitter. There are signs in that for people who use the intellect and ponder the creation. If you, meaning Muhammad وسلم, are surprised at their blindness, at how the unbelievers deny you, what could be more surprising than their words, which deny the resurrection? What, when, read as, and either, without the interrogative particle. 
What, when we are turned to dust, shall we then be created all anew? That is because the one who is able to originate creation without any prior example is able to bring it back again. These are the people who disbelieve in their Lord. Such people have iron colors around their necks. Such people are the companions of the fire, remaining in it timelessly forever. In verse number 5, as, um, as he says, وَقَالُوا أَإِذَا كُنَّا فَعَجَبٌ قَوْلُهُمْ أَإِذَا كُنَّا تُرَابٌ What is more surprising than their words when they say what أَإِذَا which is the question form they ask the question what when we are turned to dust when we come back to life or without the alif which is the recitation of Ibn Amir and Abu Ja'far they say إِذَا which becomes then a statement rather than a question. So in the first instance, it's a question that they're asking. In the second one, it's a statement that they're making. How is it possible that when we die, or it's not possible when we die, that we will be resurrected? Verse 6. The following was revealed when the unbelievers asked for the punishment to be hastened out of mockery. وَيَسْتَعْجِلُونَكَ بِالسَّيِّئَةِ قَبْلَ الْحَسَنَةِ وَقَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمُ الْمَثُولَاتِ they want you to hasten the bad, meaning the punishment, rather than the good, meaning mercy, when examples of punishment are there before them in the past. Your Lord has forgiveness for people for their wrongdoing. And if your Lord was not characterized by forgiveness, he would not leave any animal on the surface of the earth. That your Lord is also severe in retribution against those who disobey him. وَيَقُولُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لَوْلَا أُنزِلَ عَلَيْهِ آيَةٌ مِّن رَبِّهِ Those who disbelieve say, if only a sign, such as the staff of Musa, his right hand, or the she-camel of Salih, could be sent down to him, meaning Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, from his Lord. إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُنْذِرِ You are only a warner. Your task is to alarm the unbelievers, not to bring signs. وَلِكُلِّ قَوْمٍ هَادٍ Every people has a guide. Meaning, a prophet called them to Allah with the signs he gives, them, he gives him, not the ones they demand. In, in verse number 7, when he says, if only they brought a sign, then the author, Rahimahullah says, such as the staff of Musa, his right hand, or the she-camel of Saleh, he's giving examples of previous miracles, not examples of what the Quraysh demanded. So the Quraysh aren't asking for the she-camel like Saleh had, or the staff like Musa had. They weren't familiar with those stories, nor did they believe in them. But what they're asking for is a sign, and the Sufi is saying, like the miracles that were given to previous prophets. Allah knows what every female bears, every fetus, male or female, one or more, and all other things, and every shrinking of the womb after pregnancy, and every swelling in pregnancy. Everything has its measure with him, an amount and a limit which it does not exceed. The know of the unseen and the visible, the most great, the high exalted, read as muta'ali and muta'ali, exalted over his creation by his power. In verse number 9, the reading al-muta'ali and al-muta'al. So one with the ya at the end and one without the, the ya. We read it without the ya, al-muta'al. And then in the other recitation of Ibn Kathir and Yaqub, Al-Muta'ali, Al-Muta'ali with Ayah. And that is one of those uh, words in the Arabic language that is correct in its recitation in both ways. You can keep the Ayah and you can take the Ayah off. 
as with the name of the companion Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-Asi and As. Both of them are correct readings and that's why you find in, for example, the Muwatta of Imam Malik and some of the classical books of Hadith, he's referred to as Ibn al-Asi. Ibn al-Asi, anyway. So, um, in his statement or the commentary of the name of Allah Azza wa Jal al-Muta'ar, the High Exalted, exalted over his creation by his power. That is, misinterpreting this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what they say, that Allah's ascension refers to his power. And that is only one of the meanings of Allah's ascension. But the actual or the first meaning is that Allah Azza wa is above his throne, his creation, subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we've said many more times. And then, included in that is Allah Azza wa exaltedness in terms of his power. Allah Azza wa exaltedness in terms of being free of any defect or any weakness or anything that would diminish his uh, divinity, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the first and most prominent meaning of Al-Muta'al, the name of Allah, is that he is high above, subhanahu wa ta'ala, like Al-Ali. It makes no difference to his knowledge whether you keep secret what you say or voice it out loud, whether you hide in the darkness of the night or go out in the day. له عقبات من بين يديه ومن خلفه يحفظونه من أمر الله. Everyone, meaning every human being, has a succession of angels in front of him and behind him, guarding him by Allah's command from jinn and other things. إن الله لا يغير ما بقوم حتى يغير ما بأنفسهم. Allah never changes a people's state and removes blessings from them until they change what is in themselves, meaning exchange their good state for disobedience. وَإِذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ بِقَوْمٍ سُوءًا فَلَا مَرَدَّلَهُ When Allah desires evil, meaning disobedience for a people, there is no averting it, meaning his punishment or anything else. وَمَا لَهُمْ مِن دُونِهِ مِنْ وَالٍ They have no protector apart from him. If Allah desires evil for them, who can defend them from him? In verse number 11, Allah Azzawajal says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed angels above us as guardians. And we know that Allah Azzawajal has sent His angels that protect us and angels that Allah has given to us to record our deeds. And in the hadith of Abu Huraira, the Prophet said that the angels come and they change their shifts at the time of the Fajr prayer and at the time of the Asr prayer. And when they go to their Lord, Allah Azzawajal says and asks them, and He knows subhanahu wa ta'ala, He asks them, how did you leave my servants? They say that we came to them in our Fajr and they were praying. And we left them at Asr, and they were praying. And that is from the virtues of Salah. It is he who shows you the lightning, striking fear in travelers because of the lightning bolts, and bringing hope to those who are resident and desiring. It is he who heats up and creates the heavy clouds which bring the rain. وَيُسَبِّحُ الرَّعْدُ بِحَمْدِهِ وَالْمَلَائِكَةُ مِنْ خِيفَتِهِ The thunder, which is an angel who is entrusted with the clouds and drives him along, glorifies his praise, saying, Glory be to Allah and with his praise, as do the angels out of fear of him. وَيُصِلُ الصَّوَاعِقَ فَيُصِيبُ بِهَا مَنْ يَشَاءُ He discharges the thunderbolts, flashes of fire which emerges from the clouds, striking with them anyone he wills, and burning whomever Allah wishes. 
This was revealed about a man to whom the Prophet sent someone to call him to Allah. He asked, Who is the Messenger of Allah? What is Allah? Is he made of gold, silver, or brass? So Allah sent down a thunderbolt and it took the top of his head off. Yet still, they, meaning the unbelievers, argue about Allah with the Prophet when he is inexorable in his power. The unbelievers still argue, although the power and seizing of Allah is unstoppable. In verse number 13, when Allah Azza wa and this is the verse after which the surah is named that speaks about the thunder, we said, bihamdi. The thunder glorifies his praise. And the author, Rahimahullah Sayyuti, says, referring to the angel who is entrusted with the clouds. And I think we mentioned that already, that the statement from the Prophet Sallam, that it is, or, or that Allah Azza wa has placed a an angel that is responsible for driving the clouds. He has chains of fire with which he drags the clouds. And that is the sound that the Prophet said that we hear when the thunder is made and Allah knows best. And that is what he is referring to there. And this is, in, it is authentically reported that the Prophet as Imam Bukhari mentions in Al-Adab Al-Mufrad that when he would hear the thunder, the Prophet would make this, he would say this, and so it is a dhikr that is made also when we hear thunder. And that is the portion of this verse. And then he mentions the narration of this man. And it is an authentic narration the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu, the Muslim of Imam Ahmad. That a man, the Prophet asked one of the companions to go and give da'wah to a man from the people of Quraysh. And so this man, the companion went and the man responded, who is this God of yours? Is he made of gold? Is he made of silver? Is he made of brass? Is he made of iron? Describe him to me. So then the man came back and he said, O Messenger of Allah, this is how he responded. The Prophet said to him, be patient, go and tell him again. So he went another time and called him again and the man responded the same way. So the companion came back and said, O Messenger of Allah, he said the same thing. So then the third time the Prophet said, okay, give him another chance, go and call him again. And so he went and did the same and the man replied in the same way. The fourth time the Prophet goes to call him or asks the companion to go and give him da'wah and call him, the man has been struck dead by lightning. And that is what is being referred to in this narration and is an authentic narration in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad. That is what Allah is saying. They arguing about Allah. The call of truth, the words, there is no God but Allah is made to him alone. وَالَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِهِ لَا يَسْتَجِيبُونَ لَهُمْ بِشَيْءٍ Those, meaning the idols they call upon, read as يَدْعُونَ and تَدْعُونَ You call upon, apart from him, do not respond to them at all in respect of what they ask for. إِلَّا كَبَاسِقِ كَفَّيْهِ إِلَى الْمَاءِ لِيَبَلُغَ فَاهُ وَمَا هُوَ بِبَالِغِهِ It is like someone stretching out his cupped hands towards water at the top of a well, hoping to thereby convey it, meaning the water to his mouth. It will never get there. Just as the water will never reach a person's mouth by that means, so the idols will never answer their prayers. The call of the unbelievers, a reference to their worship of idols or their actual supplication, only goes astray. And this second reading in verse number 14 with the ta'ad'una is a shad reading. It is a peculiar reading that isn't read by any of the ten qurra. And for those of you that are going through this with the book, it is important to note what are the shahad qira'at because it is not allowed to read them in salah. In your salah, it's not allowed to use to read them in, in, in that type of worship. But it is, as we said, a tafsir of the Qur'an. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best.
وَلِلَّهِ يَسْجُدُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ طَوْعًا وَكَرْهًا Everyone in heaven and earth prostrates to Allah willingly, referring to the believers, or unwillingly, referring to the hypocrites, and those who are compelled to do so by the sword. وَظِلَالُهُمْ بِالْغُدُوِّ وَالْآصَالِ As do their shadows in the morning and the evening. قُلْ مَنْ رَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ قُلِ اللَّهِ Say, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to your people, who is the Lord of the heavens and the earth. If they do not answer, there is only one possible answer. So, say to them, Allah. قُلْ أَفَتَّخَذْتُمْ مِنْ دُونِهِ أَوْلِيَاءَ لَا يَمْلِكُونَ لِأَنفُسِهِمْ نَفْعًا وَلَا ضَرًّا Say, so why have you taken protectors apart from him? A reference to the idols which they worship. Possess no power to help or harm themselves. Do you worship them and abandon their creator? This question is to rebuke them. قُلْ هَلْ يَسْتَوِي الْأَعْمَى وَالْبَصِيرِ Say, are the blind, meaning the unbelievers, and the seeing, meaning the believers, equal? أَمْ هَلْ تَسْتَوِي الْغُلُمَاتُ وَالنُّورِ Or are darkness, meaning unbelief, and light, meaning belief, the same? They are not. أَمْ جَعَلُوا لِلَّهِ شُرَكَاءَ خَلَقُوكَ خَلْقِهِ فَتَشَابَهَ الْخَلْقُ عَلَيْهِمْ Or have they assigned partners to Allah who create as He creates, so that all creating seems the same to them? Meaning, have the idols created in the way that Allah creates, so that all of them seem to them to be worthy of worship? The question implies a negative response, meaning that things are not like that. Only the true creator deserves to be worshipped. Say, Allah is the creator of everything. Allah has no partner in his creation, and so he has no partner in worship. He is the one, the all-conquering, over his slaves. Verse 17. Then Allah makes a metaphor of truth and falsehood. أَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَسَالَتْ أَوْدِيَةٌ بِقَدَرِهَا فَاحْتَمَلَ السَّيْلُ زَبَدًا رَابِيًا He, meaning Allah, sends down water from the sky, meaning rain, and riverbeds fill up, and flow according to their size, and the flood water carries with it an increasing layer of scum on its surface. وَمِمَّا يُوْقِدُونَ عَلَيْهِ فِي النَّارِ بَتِغَاءَ حِلْيَةٍ أَوْ مَتَاعٍ زَبَدٌ مِثْلُهُ a similar kind of scum comes from what they heat up. Read as, يُقِدُونَ and تُقِدُونَ You heat up, in the fire. A reference to minerals such as gold, silver and copper. When you desire to make jewellery or other things, such as utensils like vessels cast from molten metal, the scum in the me- melted metal resembles the scum found in flood water. كَذَلِكَ يَضْرِبُ اللَّهُ الْحَقَّ وَالْبَاطِلِ That is how Allah depicts the true and the false and makes a metaphor of them. فَأَمَّا الزَّبَدُ فَيَذْهَبُ جُفَاءً As for the scum on the flood water and melting metals, it is quickly swept away, just as falsehood is swept away and discarded. وَأَمَّا مَا يَنْفَعُ النَّاسَ فَيَمْكُثُ فِي الْأَرْضِ But as for that which is of use to people, a reference to good water and pure metal, it, remind, it remains behind in the ground for a time. In the same way, falsehood disappears and vanishes even if it appears to cover the truth at certain times, whereas the truth is firm and remains behind. كَذَلِكَ يَضْرِبُ اللَّهُ الْأَمْثَالِ That is a metaphor which Allah has made to make things clear. لِلَّذِينَ اسْتَجَابُوا لِرَبِّهِمُ الْحُسْنَى Those who respond to their Lord by obeying Him, meaning the believers, will receive the best, meaning the garden. وَالَّذِينَ لَمْ يَسْتَجِيبُوا لَهُ لَوْ أَنَّ لَهُنَّ فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا وَمِثْلَهُ مَعَهُ لَفْتَنَهُ بِهِ But as for those who do not respond to Him, meaning the unbelievers, even if they owned everything on the earth and the same again with it, they would offer it as a ransom from the punishment. 
They will receive an evil reckoning, that of being taken to task for all that they did and not forgiven for any of it. Their shelter will be hell. What an evil resting place. Verse 19. The following was revealed about Abu Jahl. أَفَمَنْ يَعْلَمُ أَنَّمَا أُنْزِلَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ الْحَقُّ كَمَنْ هُوَ أَعْمَى Is he who knows that what has been sent down to you from your Lord and believes that it is the truth like him who is blind? Abu Jahl did not know it and did not believe in it. إِنَّمَا يَتَذَكَّرُ أُولُ الْأَلْبَابِ It is only people of intelligence who pay heed and respond to admonishment. In verse number 19, I think there is a mistranslation. Al-Imam Suti rahimahullah ta'ala says that the following verse was revealed about Hamza radiallahu and Abu Jahl. And Hamza is the one who, when he receives the message of Islam, understands that it is the truth and believes in Allah and accepts the prophethood of the, of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. As opposed to Abu Jahl, when he hears the same message, he refuses and is obstinate and turns away and becomes arrogant. And so Allah gave the example of these two people who before Islam are people that are respected by Quraysh. Hamza has his own position, radiallahu an, and he's someone who is honored and known for his strength and bravery and courage. And that is why Islam became strong after the Islam of Umar radiallahu an, and Umar and Hamza radiallahu anhuma. And they were people who had a position in their society and they were people that were honored and respected. And so Allah is giving the example of these two. And Allah knows best. الَّذِينَ يُوفُونَ بِعَهْدِ اللَّهِ وَلَا يَنْقُضُونَ الْمِيثَاقُ Those who fulfill Allah's contract, the one which was made with them in the world of spirits, or it may mean any contract, and do not break the agreement by not believing or by abandoning the obligations. وَالَّذِينَ يَصِلُونَ مَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ بِهِ أَنْ يُوصَلَ وَيَخْشَوْنَ رَبَّهُمْ وَيَخَافُونَ سُوءَ الْحِسَابِ Those who join what Allah has commanded to be joined, referring to belief, kinship and other things. And are afraid of the threat of their Lord and fear an evil reckoning. Those who are steadfast in respect of obedience and in the face of affliction and in terms of avoiding disobedience in seeking the face of their Lord and, and not merely the goods of this world and establish the prayer and spend in obedience to Allah from the provision we have given them secretly and openly and stave off evil with good by facing ignorance with forbearance and harm with steadfastness. It is they who will have the ultimate abode, the praiseworthy outcome in the next world. Gardens of Eden which they will enter and all of their parents, wives and children who are righteous and believed. Even if they did not do the same action as they did, they will be in their ranks to honor them. Angels will enter in to welcome them from every gate of the garden or at the gates of their palaces in the garden when they enter them to congratulate them. In verse number 23, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they will enter with their parents, wives and children who are from the righteous. And as Sayyidi rahimahullah ta'ala says that they will be given the same rank. And that is based on him making tafsir of the Qur'an with the Qur'an. As Allah Azza wa mentions in Surah Al-Tur, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَاتَّبَعَتْهُمْ ذُرِّيَّتُهُمْ بِإِيمَانِ أَلْحَقْنَا بِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ Those who believe in their children, follow them in Iman, we will reunite them with their children, meaning in Jannah. And this is one of those verses that gives great hope and also 
spurs and motivates parents to invest in their children in terms of their Islam and in their tarbiyah and in their worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make them better than we are because if they surpass us in terms of their deeds and in terms of their goodness it is that Allah Azza wa has decreed that we will be inshallah at the same level of them in Jannah and that is based on the principle of the Sharia that when someone teaches someone that is good or is a, is a, a conduit for that goodness then Allah gives you a share of that reward Allah Azza wa gives you a share of that reward and so parents have inshallah the share of the reward of their children when they do that good if they were a part and parcel of their goodness and their iman and their Salamun alaykum bima sabartum. They will say, Peace be upon you because of your steadfastness in the world. How wonderful is the ultimate abode. Those but as for those who break Allah's contract after it has been agreed and sever what Allah has commanded to be joined and cause corruption in the earth by unbelief and committing acts of disobedience, the curse, meaning distance from the mercy of Allah, will be upon them. They will have the evil abode in the next world, meaning hellfire. Allah Allah expands provision to anyone He wills and restricts it for anyone He wills. They, meaning the people of Mecca, rejoice arrogantly in the life of this world and the worldly things they have acquired. Yet, the life of this world compared to the next world is only fleeting enjoyment, which will soon disappear. Those who disbelieve among the people of Mecca say, Why has a sign such as the staff of Musa, his white hand, or the Sheikh Amul of Salih, not been sent down to him, meaning Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, from his Lord? Say to them, Allah misguides whomever he wills, and the signs will not help them to guidance to his deen at all, and guides to himself, meaning to his deen, all who turn back to him. Those who believe and whose hearts find peace in the remembrance of Allah, meaning His promise. Truly, in the remembrance of Allah, the hearts of the believer can find peace. Those who believe and do right actions, happiness, the word used here, Quba, is a verbal noun for Tayyib, meaning good. It is said to refer to a tree in the garden in whose shade a rider can ride for a hundred years. Happiness will be theirs and a wonderful homecoming. In verse 28, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about one of the virtues and benefits of making the dhikr of Allah azza wa jal, remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any form of remembrance, be that reciting the Quran, be that making dua, be that making the adhkar, that it brings contentment and peace to the heart. And then Allah Azza wa describes those people and He says those who believe and do righteous deeds, Tuba lahum, they will have Tuba. And the, uh, the translator says that it's referring to happiness. But amongst the scholars of Tafsir, some of them said Tuba is land in Jannah. That's what it refers to, land in Jannah. And the other opinion is, is as Suyuti rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, that it refers to a tree in Jannah. Shajaratun fil Jannah. That is what is authentically reported in the hadith of Abu Sa'id 
Al-Khudri radiyallahu an that the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wasallam Tuba is a tree in Jannah the shade of which spans for a hundred years meaning that if someone was to ride beneath its shade that they would be able to ride for a hundred years due to the size of that tree and Allah Azza knows best كذلك أرسلناك في أمة قد خلت من قبلها أمم لتتلو عليهم الذي أوحينا إليك وهم يكفرون بالرحمن In the same way as we sent prophets before you, we have sent you among the nation before which other nations passed away to recite to them what we have revealed to you, meaning the Quran. Yet they still believe in the All Merciful. They still disbelieve. Oh, yet they still disbelieve in the All Merciful. When they are commanded to prostrate to the All Merciful, they say, "What is the All Merciful?" قل هو ربي لا إله إلا هو. Say to them, Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, He is my Lord. There is no God but Him. عليه توكلت وإليه متاب. I put my trust in Him and I turn to Him. Verse 31. This ayah was revealed when they said to him, "If you are a prophet, then make the mountains of Mecca move away from us and make rivers and springs flow in it, so that we can so that we can plant and cultivate." And resurrect for us our dead fathers to tell us that you are a prophet. وَلَوْ أَنَّ قُرْآنًا سُيِّرَتْ بِهِ الْجِبَالُ أَوْ قُطِّعَتْ بِهِ الْأَرْضُ أَوْ كُلِّمَ بِهِ الْمَوْتَى Even if there were a Qur'an which moved mountains from their places, or split the earth open, or spoke to the dead by bringing the dead back to life, to make the people of Mecca believe, بَلْ لِلَّهِ الْأَمُّ جَمِيعًا On the contrary, the affair is Allah's altogether, and belongs to no one else. Only those only those will believe whom he wishes to believe and not anyone else, even if he gives you what you demand. This was revealed when the companions wanted to produce what the unbelievers asked for, out of desire for them to become believers. Do those who believe not know that if Allah had wanted to, he could have guided all mankind without any signs whatsoever? وَلَا يَزَالُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا تُصِيبُهُمْ بِمَا صَنَعُوا قَارِعَةٌ أَوْ تَحُلُّ قَرِيبًا مِّن دَارِهِمْ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَ وَعْدُ اللَّهِ Those who disbelieve among the people of Mecca will not cease to be, by, to be struck by disaster for what they have done, for their unbelief. The word used here for disaster, qari'ah, is applied to various types of affliction, killing, capture, war and drought, or a disaster at the hands of your, your army, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa will happen close to their homes, meaning Mecca, until Allah's promise that you will be victorious over them is fulfilled. Allah will not fail to keep His promise. This happened at Al-Hudaybiyah and continued until Mecca was conquered. وَلَقَدْ اسْتُهْزِئَ بِرُسُلٍ مِّن قَبْلِكَ فَأَمْلَيْتُ لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا ثُمَّ أَخَذْتُهُمْ Messengers before you were mocked, as you are being mocked. This is to offer solace to the Prophet wasallam. I gave those who disbelieved a little more time and then I seized them with the penalty. How terrible was my retribution which was inflicted on them. That is what I will do to all those who mock you. What then of him who is standing watching over every self, seeing everything it does? He knows what it earns of good and evil. That is Allah. Is he like those who are not like that among the idols? He is not. وَجَعَلُوا لِلَّهِ شُرَكَاءَ قُلْ سَمُّوهُمْ Yet, they still associate others with Allah. Say, name them. Who are they? أَمْ تُنَبِّئُونَهُ بِمَا لَا يَعْلَمُ فِي الْأَرْضِ Or would you inform him, meaning Allah, of something, a partner in the earth? 
meaning a partner in the earth he does not know. The answer to this is negative. He has no partner. If he had had one, he would have known it. Allah is exalted above that. Or are they, meaning those they name as partners, words that are simply guesswork on your part. It is a false supposition with no inward reality. Yet the plotting, meaning kufr, of those who disbelieved, seems good to them and they bar the way, meaning the path of guidance. Anyone misguided by Allah has no guide. They will receive punishment in the life of this world by being killed and captured. And the punishment of the next world is harsher still. They have no defender against the punishment of Allah. What is the garden promised to those who are God-fearing like? What can we say to you about the description of the garden? It has rivers flowing under it and its foodstuffs and cool shade never fail. That garden is the final fate of those who are God-fearing and avoid shirk. But the final fate of the unbelievers is the fire. In verse number 35, Allah Azza wa Jal describes Jannah. And from the descriptions of Jannah that he gives is That the food of Jannah and its shade are permanent, that they never fail. And this is mentioned in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum in Sahih al-Bukhari. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at a time when the when the sun eclipsed during his lifetimes, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was leading the companions in Salah. And they saw him as he was praying, step forward and reach out his hand as if he was going to grab something. And then he left it and stepped back. After the Salah, they said, O Messenger of Allah, we saw you in the Salah as if you were reaching for something. And then you left it and stepped back. He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that Allah Azza wa presented Jannah before me. And I saw within it its fruits. So I stepped forward to take a bunch of them and bring them out. But then I decided not to and I left them. And by Allah, had I bought them for you, you would have eaten from them until Yawmul Qiyamah. And that is the meaning of this verse. That its food and its shade never fail. They are da'im. Da'im means permanent. They continue. And so Allah that is from the beauty of Jannah. That its food and its blessing and its reward isn't something which is seasonal isn't something which is temperamental, isn't something which is based on good harvest or good rain or good sun or good growing fertile conditions. It is from the beauty of Jannah, that the people will have in it everything that they wish for and everything that they are pleased with and Allah Azza wa will give it to them in the best of ways. Those to whom we gave the book, such as Abdullah ibn Salam and others of the Jews who believed, rejoice at what has been sent down to you, because it agreed with the divine revelation which they had. But some of the parties, meaning those idolaters and Jews who attacked you out of enmity, refused to acknowledge part of it, and deny things like the mention of the All-Merciful and such like. Say, I have only been ordered in what has been revealed to me to worship Allah and not to associate anything with Him. I summon to him and to him I will return. 
وكذلك أنزلناه حكما عربيا Accordingly, we have sent it, meaning the Qur'an, down as a judgment in Arabic, by which judgment between people can be given. وَلَئِنِ اتَّبَعْتَ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ بَعْدَمَا جَاءَكَ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ مَا لَكَ مِنَ اللَّهِ مِنْ وَلِيٍّ وَلَا وَاقَ If you followed their whims and desires, a reference to what the unbelievers invite to regarding their religion, after the knowledge of Allah's oneness that has come to you, you would have no protector or defender against the punishment of Allah. Verse 38, when they criticized him for the number of his wives, this ayah was revealed. وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا رُسُلًا مِّن قَبْنِكَ وَجَعَلْنَا لَهُمْ أَزْوَاجًا وَذُرِّيَّةً We sent messengers before you and gave them wives and children, meaning you are like them. وَمَا كَانَ لِرَسُولٍ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ بِآيَةٍ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ Nor was any messenger among them able to bring a sign except by Allah's permission. They were all human beings who were subject to the Lord. There is a prescribed limit to every term. In verse 38, that, this is why some of the scholars say that some of the verses are Medina. Those scholars who say that the tafsir of this verse is referring to the wives of the Prophet ﷺ. Because in the Meccan period, the Prophet ﷺ only had one wife, Khadija radiallahu anha. So it can't be referring to his multiple wives. And it doesn't make sense for them to criticize the Prophet ﷺ for having many wives when he only has one. But it is in the Medinan period, as we know, that the Prophet ﷺ takes a number of wives, Aisha and Hafsa and Sauda and others, from amongst them, radiallahu anhumna ajma'een. And so that is why you have those scholars based on the tafsir that say, therefore, some of his verses must be Medinan. And the other scholars say, no, the verses general isn't referring specifically to the Prophet ﷺ and his situation or what the Quraysh may or may not have said concerning his wives and children. But it is a principle that Allah is establishing. And that principle is that the messengers that were sent before you are humans like you. They too had families. They too were parents. They too were husbands and spouses. And that is from the sign that Allah gives in sending messengers that are role models that people can relate to while understanding the special status that they have been afforded. And so we understand that they are humans like us, they had needs like us, they ate and they drank and they slept and they had wives and they had children and they had family dynamics and so on. So that we then can take from their example what we need in those parts of our lives as well. And Allah knows best. Allah erases whatever ruling or anything else He wills or endorses it. Read as, yuthbitu and yuthabbitu. وَعِنْدَهُ أُمُّ الْكِتَابِ The master copy of the book, Umm al-Kitab, is in his hands. Umm al-Kitab is a source of revelation in which nothing is changed. And it was what was written before time. Meaning, the law al-Mahfuz. وَإِمَّا نُرِيَنَّكَ بَعْضَ الَّذِينَ عِيدُهُمْ أَوْ نَتَوَفَّيَنَّكَ Whether we show you something of what we have promised them, meaning of the punishment while you are alive, or we take you back to us before they are punished, فَإِنَّمَا عَلَيْكَ الْبَلَاغُ وَعَلَيْنَا الْحِسَابِ Your responsibility is nothing but transmission, and the reckoning is ours, meaning we will call them to account when they return to us. أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا أَنَّا نَأْتِي الْأَرْضَ نَنْقُصُهَا مِنْ أَطَرَافِهَا Do they, meaning the people of Mecca, not see how we come to the land, meaning their homeland, eroding at its extremities by conquest at the hands of the Prophet وَاللَّهُ يَحْكُمُ لَا مُعَقِّبَ لِحُكْمِهِ Allah judges in whatever way He wishes in His creation. And there is no reversing His judgment. He is swift at reckoning. Meaning, 
those nations before them plotted against their prophets as they have plotted against you. But all plotting belongs to Allah. Their plotting is not like the plotting of Allah. He knows what each self earns and will calculate its repayment for it. This is all plotting because it comes from where they are not aware. And the unbeliever, kafir here in the singular is generic for all unbelievers. One, one reading has a plural, kuffar. And the unbelievers will soon know who has the ultimate abode. The ultimate abode is a praiseworthy end in the next world. He will know whether he will have it or whether the Prophet and his companions will. In verse 42 in the Qira'at, it can sometimes become confusing because the translator is using the Qira'ah of Hafs and the author is using the Qira'ah of Abu Amr. And so in Abu Amr he says, وَسَيَعْلَمُ الْكَافِرُ And that's why in the commentary he says, one reading is the singular and the other reading is the plural. But we just read the one in the plural. And so it becomes confusing, right? And then you think, okay, but I just read that one. And now you're saying that's the other reading, but that's the one that I just read. And that's why some of the scholars say that when you go through these books of tafsir, it is better to have within the recitation the actual qira'ah that the imam is using. But that's not always very easy or accessible to do. But that's why sometimes you get, because in the commentary then, Abu Asiyut is using a different qira'ah. And the qira'ah that we use then is the alternative for him, even though it is the asr and the basis for us. And that's why sometimes you get the discrepancy. So the translator is a mistranslating, but it's just because of the difference of the qira'at that is being used between us and between him, rahimahullah. Those who disbelieve in you say, you are not a messenger. قُلْ كَفَى بِاللَّهِ شَهِيدًا بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَكُمْ وَمَنْ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمُ الْكِتَابِ Say to them, Allah is a sufficient witness between you and me to my truthfulness and anyone else who has knowledge of the book, meaning the believers among the Jews and Christians. Surah Ibrahim, Abraham. This surah is Meccan except for ayat 28 and 29 which are Medinan. It has 52, 54 or 55 ayat. So this is the 14th surah of the Quran and that is surah Ibrahim, and it is a Meccan surah according to many of the scholars, Ibn Kathir ta'ala, amongst them. And some of them, as you can see here, such as Qatada, said that there is an exception in some of its verses. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alif Lam Ra. Allah knows best what the letters mean. كتاب أنزلناه إليك لتخرج الناس من الظلمات إلى النور بإذن ربهم إلى صراط العزيز الحميد. This Quran is a book which we have sent down to you, Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, so that you may bring mankind from the darkness of unbelief to the light of faith by the permission, meaning command of their Lord, to the path of the Almighty, the praiseworthy. الله الذي له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض Allah is He to whom everything in the heavens and everything in the earth belongs, meaning everything in the world is His kingdom, creatures and people. Woe to the unbelievers because of a terrible punishment. Those who prefer and choose the life of this world to the next world. And bar people access to the way of Allah, meaning the deen of Islam, wanting to make it the way crooked. They are greatly misguided from the truth. We 
we have not sent any messenger except with the language of his people, so that he might make things clear to them, meaning bring them to understanding of what he has brought. Allah misguides anyone he wills and guides anyone he wills. He is the Almighty in his kingdom, the All-Wise in what he does. وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا مُوسَى بِآيَاتِنَا أَنْ أَخْرِجْ قَوْمَكَ مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى النُّورِ We sent Musa with our nine signs and we said to him, Bring your people, meaning the tribe of Israel, from the darkness of unbelief to the light of faith. وَذَكِّرْهُمْ بِأَيَّامِ اللَّهِ And remind them of the days, meaning blessings of Allah. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِكُلِّ صَبَّارٍ شَكُورٍ There are certainly signs in that, reminder for everyone who is steadfast in obedience, thankful for blessings received. وَإِذْ قَالَ مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ اذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذْ أَنْجَاكُمْ مِنْ آلِ فِرْعَوْنَ يَسُومُونَكُمْ سُوءَ الْعَذَابِ وَيُذَبِّحُونَ أَبْنَاءَكُمْ وَيَسْتَحْيُونَ نِسَاءَكُمْ Remember when Musa said to his people, Remember Allah's blessing upon, blessing upon you when he rescued you from the people of Pharaoh. They were inflicting an evil punishment on you, slaughtering your sons and letting your women live. This was a result of one of the soothsayers saying that a child would be born among the tribe of Israel who would bring about the loss of the kingdom of Pharaoh. In that deliverance or punishment, it was a tremendous trial of either blessing or affliction from your Lord. And this is what is famous in verse number 6. Concerning the story of Musa and the command of Pharaoh to kill the children of Bani Israel, that he saw a dream in one narration and in another narration someone saw a dream for him. And Allah knows best because these are not authentic narrations from the Prophet but what is mentioned in the books of history and in the books of the stories of the Prophet and therefore in Tafsir. And that is that they saw a dream that his destruction would be at the hands of a child of Bani Israel. So he commanded that all of them be killed. Kill them all. And then after issuing that command and after some time his advisor said to him that if you continue in this way we will have no slaves left because you're killing them all meaning the male children you kill them all and there is no one left to be our slaves and the slaves that are living will go old and they will die and then we will be out of slaves so he decreed that there would be a year of killing and a year in which there would be no killing so that he makes his chances half 50% and so that is the decree that Allah is referring to and Allah says, They punish you with the worst of punishments because that is one of the most heinous types of genocides that you can have that a people are killed in that manner. And it is their babies and their children that have, are innocent, that have no fault of their own. And indeed within that there was a great affliction from your Lord. And when your Lord announced, if you show gratitude for my blessing by affirming my oneness and being obedient to me, I will certainly give you increase. But if you show ingratitude for my blessing by unbelief and disobedience, I will punish you for it. My punishment is severe. And from the beautiful uh, eloquence of the Quran is that Allah mentions this verse number 7 in the context of punishment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about Bani Israel and their difficulty and their trials and their hardship and, and the torment and affliction that was placed upon them. And then Allah says, And when your Lord announces, if you are grateful, I will give you increase. And that is because even in those times of difficulty, one of the ways of attaining Allah's mercy and His pleasure is to continue to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and from the sign of the mu'min and the believer is the one who in times of ease and hardship they thank Allah as opposed to those who only thank Allah in times of ease and then in times of difficulty they forget Allah or they complain about what Allah Azza has decreed for them. وَقَالَ مُوسَىٰ إِن تَكْفُرُوا أَنْتُمْ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَغَنِيٌّ حَمِيدٌ Musa said to his people, if you are to be ungrateful, you and everyone on the earth, Allah is rich beyond need of his creation, praiseworthy in what he does to them. أَلَمْ يَأْتِكُمْ نَبَأُ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ قَوْمِ نُوحٍ وَعَادٍ وَثَمُودَ وَالَّذِينَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ لَا يَعْلَمُهُمْ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Has news not reached you of those who came before you? The, people, the peoples of Nuh and Ad, meaning the people of Hud, and Thamud, meaning the people of Salih, and those who came after them, who are known to no one but Allah, because there are so many of them. This is a question demanding an affirmative response. The messengers came to them with clear signs, meaning clear evidence that they were speaking the truth. But they, meaning these nations, put their hands to their mouths to bite on them because of their intense frustration. وَقَالُوا إِنَّا كَفَرْنَا بِمَا أُرْسِلْتُمْ بِهِ Saying, we reject what you claim you have been sent with. وَإِنَّا لَفِي شَكٍ مِّمَّا تَدْعُونَنَا إِلَيْهِ مُرِيبٍ We have grave doubts about what you are calling us to. And in verse 9, we often see that when Allah reminds the Quraysh of the past nations, Allah often names Adam Thamud. And that's because we said previously that those are the prophets that they were familiar with. They were Arab prophets. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla often refers to them Ad and Thamud and sometimes Madian because Shu'aib was also from the Arab prophets. And so it is an Ibrahim at other times. And so those are the names that are often mentioned in this context because they were names or tribes and peoples that the Arabs and the Quraysh were familiar with. Their messengers said, Is there any doubt about Allah, the bringer into being of the heavens and the earth? This question demands a negative response. In other words, there is no doubt about Allah's unitary existence because of the evident proofs of it. He summons you to obedience in order to forgive you for your wrong actions, as becoming a Muslim results in forgiveness for anything that happened before it. The words min is used before wrong actions to make it selective, because responsibility for rights owed to other human beings is not removed, and to defer punishment from you until a specified time, meaning your death. قَالُوا إِنْ أَنْتُمْ إِلَّا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُنَا تُرِيدُونَ أَنْ تَصُدُّونَا عَمَّا كَانَ يَعْبُدُ آبَاؤُنَا They said, you are nothing but human beings like ourselves, who want to debar us from what, meaning the idols, our fathers worshipped. فَأْتُونَا بِسُلْطَانٍ مُبِينٍ So bring us a clear authority, meaning clear evidence that you are speaking the truth. In verse number 10, when the author Ta'ala speaks about the word min, so that he may forgive you from some of your actions. The min here is tab'iyyah, meaning some of your deeds. And as he mentions, the one understanding of the min or the sun refers to that Allah may forgive you for the sin between you and Allah, but the rights of the people are still there until you return their rights. So if someone steals from someone else, Allah may forgive them for the act of theft, but that forgiveness is not whole until you give back the rights of others. Otherwise, Allah can sit wholly to account on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, meaning that that person can demand their right on the Day of Judgment, so he takes from your good deeds, or you take from their sins. And that's why, 
actions between you and Allah Azza wa Jal, sins between you and Allah that don't involve anyone else, Allah forgives them. And that is Allah's right, Himself alone. But sins that are between you and Allah and others, then that is a three-way process. They have to forgive you and Allah Azza wa Jal has to forgive you as well. That is one understanding. The second understanding that is also possible to say, because the verses speak about the disbelievers, is that those who accept Islam, but then they continue to sin because of practices that they had before Islam. So they accept Islam, but they continue to drink. They accept Islam, but maybe they're still taking drugs. They accept Islam, and maybe they commit other sins that they were used to performing. Once they accept Islam, those sins are all forgiven, because Islam forgives everything that came before it. But if they persist and continue after Islam, then those are actions that they will be held to account for as Muslims. And so therefore it is possible to understand the min or the sum in that context as well, as well and Allah knows best. قالت لهم رسلهم إن نحن إلا بشر مثلكم. The messengers told them, we are nothing but human beings like yourselves, as you have said. ولكن الله يمن على من يشاء من عباده. But Allah shows favor by granting prophethood to any of His slaves He wills. وما كان لنا أن نأتيكم بسلطان إلا بإذن الله. It is not proper for us to bring you an authority except by Allah's permission, meaning command, because we are slaves subject to Him. So let the believers put their trust in Allah. And why indeed should we not put our trust in Allah when He has guided us to our ways? There is nothing to stop us from trusting in Him. We will be steadfast however much you harm us. Those who trust put their trust in Allah. Those who disbelieved said to their messengers, We will drive you from our land unless you return to our religion. The Lord revealed to them, we will destroy those who do wrong, meaning the unbelievers. We will leave you the land, meaning their homeland, to live in after them, after they have been destroyed. That, meaning victory and inheritance of the land, is the reward of those who fear my station, meaning standing before me, and fear my threat of punishment. They asked for Allah's victory, meaning they asked their messengers for Allah to give them victory over the unbelievers of their people. And every obdurate tyrant who rejected the truth and refused to obey, Allah failed. And beyond him is hell, which he will enter. Where he will be given pus which will exude from the bellies of the people of the fire as a mixture of pus and blood to drink. Allah Azza wa in these verses is speaking about the punishment of the people that will enter into the fire and the torments and the punishments that Allah has prepared for them within it. And from those punishments is what they will be given to drink because as Allah says in the Quran in other places that they will experience a great thirst because of the heat and the severity of the fire. So they will turn to Allah Azza wa and ask for a drink. And Allah will respond by giving them a drink, but not water, one that is cool or refreshing, but rather a drink that is also from the fire and from the evil that emanates, the filth that emanates from the fire. And the word sadid 
here in verse number 16 صديد, they will be given a liquid to drink meaning water or a liquid that will be of sadid and sadid is as the author rahimahullah mentions a mixture of pus and blood meaning the filthy excrement that comes from the body that will be mixed and it will be given to them and that is the opinion of Mujahid al-Iqribah. This is their statement. Alayhim rahmatullah. The sadid is the pus that comes from spots and those types of boils. And when they split open, the pus that emanates from them. As well as the evil, the, the foul blood that is mixed. That is what they will be given to drink. And that is so that every single thing that the people of the fire have is debasement, humiliation, punishment. There is not a single thing that the people of the fire are given in which there is even an iota or even the smallest part of honor for them or relief for them. And that is because of the torment that Allah has placed upon them. May Allah save us all. He gulps at it, tries to swallow it down again and again, unable to because of his bitterness, but can hardly swallow it down because of its foulness and disgusting taste. وَيَأْتِيهِ الْمَوْتُ مِنْ كُلِّ مَكَانٍ وَمَا هُوَ بِمَيِّدٍ Death, meaning forms of punishment which would normally result in death, come at him, comes at him from every side, but he does not die. وَمِنْ وَرَائِهِ عَذَابٌ غَلِيظٌ And beyond him, after that punishment is relentless, severe and continuous punishment. As the author says, Rahimullah, in verse 17, that drink will not be able to be swallowed by them. They will try to drink it, and it won't be able to be swallowed by them. Just as when they ask for the food, as Allah will mention in another verse in a different surah, when they ask for food and they try to eat that food, there's the thorns from that food and that fruit will stick in their throats and will, 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 will rip apart their bellies and their intestines. And so it's something which they will be unable to have. But they will have to force it down. And when they eat that food that can, they can barely swallow, it will be followed up by this type of drink that they will use to swallow it down. And so every single part of them, internal, external, will be in punishment and in agony and in pain. And that's why Allah Azza wa says, min kulli makan wa ma huwa Death will come to them from every direction. But they will not die. And as the Sufi says, death meaning things that would ordinarily give them death. Because for a person to, to be in fire will normally give them death. They would die. And if a person was to eat something that would choke them, they would normally die. And if they were to consume something like poison that would, that would mess up their intestines or their, their stomach, they would normally die. So every single means and cause of death will come to them. But death itself will not come to them. And that is why when they will say to Malik, the gatekeeper of Hal, as Allah mentions, They will call out to Malik, the gatekeeper of Hal, Let your Lord destroy us. Give us death. Allah will reply, or he will say, Indeed, you will remain therein forever. There is no death for you. As the Prophet said, When the people of Jannah enter into Jannah, and the people of the fire will enter into the fire, death will be brought in the shape of a ram. And it will be slaughtered. And it will be said to the people of Jannah, For you, O people of Jannah, there is eternity and no death. And for you, O people of the fire, there is eternity and no death. مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ كَفَهُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ أَعْمَالُهُمْ كَرَمَادٍ اشْتَدَّتْ بِهِ الْرِيحُ فِي يَوْمٍ عَاصِفٍ 
The metaphor of those who disbelieve in their Lord is that their righteous actions such as maintaining ties of kinship and almsgiving are like ashes and therefore of no use to them whatsoever, scattered by strong winds on a stormy day, which disperse the dust and about which nothing can be done. They, meaning the unbelievers, have no power at all over anything they have earned in this world. They will have no reward because the necessary condition for it, that of true faith, is lacking. That is extreme misguidance. Do you not see that Allah has created the heavens and the earth with truth? If he wished, he could eliminate you, meaning mankind, and bring about a new creation. That is not difficult for Allah. They will all parade before Allah, meaning all creatures will be made to appear. The past tense is used because its occurrence is a matter of certainty. فَقَالَ الضُّعَفَاءُ لِلَّذِينَ اسْتَكْبَرُوا إِنَّا كُنَّا لَكُمْ تَبَعًا فَهَلْ أَنْتُمْ مُغْنُونَ عَنَّا مِنْ عَذَابِ اللَّهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ And the weak followers will say to those who are arrogant, meaning those who they followed, We followed you. So, can you help us at all against the punishment of Allah? قَالُوا لَوْ they will say, if Allah had guided us, we would have guided you. Meaning, we would have called you to guidance. It makes no difference whether we cannot stand it or bear it patiently. We have no way of escape. Meaning, there is no refuge for us now. Allah verse 21 speaks about the situation or the station of those people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah who called others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they will turn the weak amongst them to their leaders because they will follow them in this world so on Yawm Al-Qiyamah they will come to them asking them to help them in some way can you save us in any way, shape or form from the punishment of Allah and they will say had we been guided we would have guided you meaning we are in exactly the same situation we have no power on this day, no authority on this day, no place for intercession on this day. And it is the same whether we are patient or whether we show agitation. Meaning the punishment of Allah will come either way. We are destroyed on this day. When the affair is decided and the people of the garden enter the garden and the people of the fire enter the fire and they gather in it, Shaytan, Iblis, will say, Allah made you a promise of resurrection and repayment and spoke the truth to you, a promise of truth. And I made you a promise but broke my promise. I had no authority over you to compel you to follow me, except that I called you and you responded to me. فَلَا تَلُومُونِي وَلُومُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Do not therefore blame me, but blame yourselves for responding to me. مَا أَنَا بِمُصْرِخِكُمْ وَمَا أَنْتُمْ بِمُصْرِخِي I cannot come to your aid, nor you to mine. Read as, مُصْرِخِيَّ and مُصْرِخِيِّ إِنِّي كَفَرْتُ بِمَا أَشْرَكْتُمُونِ مِنْ قَبْلِ I reject the way you associated me and made me a partner with Allah before, meaning in the world. Then Allah will say, 
The wrongdoers, meaning the unbelievers, will have a painful punishment. In this verse, verse 22, Allah Azza wa then says, Al-Shaytan will also absolve himself from these people. Because the weak go to their strong ones, and the strong ones will go to the people that they turn to. And if you continue to follow that chain all the way back, who do you end up with? You end up with Iblis. And Iblis will say on that day, when Allah Azza wa has determined the people of the fire and the people of Jannah, he will say to them that indeed Allah made you a promise that is true. And I made you a promise that was false. And that is what Allah is telling us when he narrates the story of Adam and Iblis. That he made that promise to Allah. Oh Allah, if you give me long life, if you allow me life unto the day of judgment, I will misguide all of them. All of them I will make from the people of the fire. Except for those of your slaves that you have chosen. All that are sincere to you. And they are the few and the minority as we saw towards the end of Surah Yusuf. وَمَا يُؤْمِنُ أَكْثَرُهُمْ بِاللَّهِ إِلَّا وَهُمْ مُشْرِكُونَ the vast majority of people do not believe except that they commit some form of shirk. And so this is the day that they will come to Iblis and Iblis will absolve himself from them. And then he will say, وَمَا كَانَ لِي عَلَيْكُمْ Sultan, I have no power or authority over you. إِلَّا أَن دَعُوتُكُمْ فَاسْتَجَبْتُمْ لِي And this shows how weak the, the temptation of shaitan is and how weak his weaponry is but how effective it is at the same time. Allah says, إِنَّ كَيْدَ الشَّيْطَانِ كَانَ ضَعِيفًا Indeed, the plotting of shaitan is always weak. Why? Because he only has one weapon, and that is whispering. Shaitan doesn't hold us to ransom. Shaitan doesn't kidnap our children. Shaitan doesn't take away our wealth or money or anything else. The only thing that he has over us is to call. And if anyone else was to come and do the same thing, whisper to us, I want your money, I want your house, I want your car, we would dismiss it. But when shaitan does it, it is something which strikes. Because as Allah says, when shaitan whispers, nas. His whispers aren't in the ear, but they are in the hearts. And so it sticks, and it ferments, and it's something which continues to fester in the heart unless we turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But on Yawm al-Qiyamah, he will say, all I did was call. It's not like I threatened you with anything. It's not like I forced you or compound you or, or said to you that if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. All I did is call. And you responded. And that is why the people will have no evidence or justification before Allah for sinning. They can't say that we were compelled, we were forced. And those people who are compelled, Allah forgives. If they are genuinely compelled, if they are forgetful, if they make a genuine mistake. But for everything else, there is no excuse before Allah Azza wa Jal. فَلَا تَلُومُونِي وَلُومُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Don't blame me, blame yourselves. مَا أَنَا بِمُسْرِخِكُمْ وَمَا أَنْتُمْ بِمُسْرِخِي I cannot save you on this day, you cannot save me. إِنِّي كَفَرْتُ بِمَا أَشْرَقْتُمُونِ مِنْ قَبْلِ I had already disbelieved in what you had associated in terms of worship with Allah. Meaning that shaitan knows the reality of Allah. He was there at the beginning of creation. He knows that there's no other gods. He knows the reality of fire and jannah. But he doesn't want to be lonely in the fire of hell. He wants as many people with him as is possible. وَأُدْخِلَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا بِإِذْنِ رَبِّهِمْ Those who believed and did right actions will be admitted into gardens with rivers flowing under them, remaining in them timelessly forever by the permission of their Lord. تَحِيَّتُهُمْ فِيهَا سَلَامٌ Their greeting there from the angels and between themselves is peace. أَلَمْ تَرَ كَيْفَ ضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا كَلِمَةً طَيِّبَةً كَشَجَرَةٍ طَيِّبَةٍ أَصْلُهَا ثَابِتٌ وَفَرْعُهَا فِي السَّمَاءِ Do you not, do you, do not, 
Do you not reflect and see how Allah makes the metaphor of a good word said to be the statement, there is no God but Allah, a good tree such as a palm tree whose roots are firm in the earth and whose branches are in heaven. It bears fruit regularly by its Lord's permission, by the will of Allah. In the same way, the word of faith is fixed firmly in the heart of the believer. His actions rise to heaven and he obtains their blessing and reward every moment. Allah makes metaphors for people, meaning to make things clear, so that perhaps they will pay heed, be warned and believe. In these verses, verse number 24 and 25, Allah gives the metaphor of Tawheed. And the metaphor of Tawheed, of the good statement, meaning the statement of La ilaha illallah, is like the good tree. And the author Ta'ala says here, it is the tree that is the palm tree. And that's based in the hadith of Al-Bukhari of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma. That's not a tafsir of particularly of this verse, it's not a cause of revelation. But that the Prophet said that the example of the Muslim, in terms of their benefit, in terms of their goodness, is like the tree that always gives off its fruit and always keeps its leaves, doesn't shed its leaves. What is that tree? And so the companions didn't know. Abdullah ibn Umar says that I thought to myself, it must be the palm tree. For I was the youngest amongst the companions, meaning that I was a junior companion, and I felt embarrassed that I should speak, and there's much, many more people who are senior than me in knowledge and in age there. So I said nothing. So then the Prophet said, he and Nakhla, it is the date palm tree. Abdullah ibn Umar says that I told my father later on, Umar radiallahu that I knew the answer to that, but I was just too shy. Umar radiallahu said, had you spoken, it would have been more beloved to me than such and such, meaning than anything else. Showing that even a person who is young in age, if they have knowledge, it is allowed and it is good for them to speak in that position with respect for those people that are around them. So Abdullah ibn Umar says that he knew the answer to that. And that is why the author Taala is saying that it is like a tree. The point is that Allah says that this tree is one that has its roots firmly in the ground and its branches are high in the sky. It gives its fruit in every season. And that is the tree of Iman, the tree, the tree of Tawheed. That when a person feels that their iman is becoming weak, that they are becoming distant from Allah they are able to pluck the fruit of the tree of iman, increase their iman. How? By turning to Allah, by making dua, by giving charity, by reciting Quran, by making dhikr, by any of those means that increase his iman. And that is what makes the believer different to everyone else. They know, even in times of difficulty, what they need to do in order to increase their iman. As the Prophet told us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Three things, if you have them, you will taste the sweetness of faith. That you love Allah and His Messenger more than you love anyone else. And that you love someone only for the sake of Allah. And that you dislike to be taken back into disbelief after Allah saved you from it, just as you dislike to be thrown into the fire of hell. وَمَثَلُ كَلِمَةٍ خَبِيثَةٍ كَشَجَرَةٍ خَبِيثَةٍ اجْتُثَّتْ مِنْ فَوْقِ الْأَرْضِ مَا لَهَا مِنْ قَرَارٍ The metaphor of a cropped word, meaning the expression of unbelief, is that of a rotten tree, such as a colocynth, uprooted on the surface of the earth. It has no staying power, since its roots are on the surface. It has no firmness or stability. Similarly, the word of unbelief has no firmness or branches or blessing. يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ Allah makes those who believe firm with the firm word. The statement, there is no God but Allah, in the life of this world and the next world. This takes place in the grave, when the two angels question them about their, about their Lord, their deen and their prophet, and they answer correctly, as in the hadith recorded by both Al-Bukhari and Muslim. 
وَيُضِلُّ اللَّهُ الظَّالِمِينَ But Allah misguides the wrongdoers, meaning unbelievers, so that they are not guided to what is correct and instead have to say, I do not know, as in the hadith. وَيَفْعَلُ اللَّهُ مَا يَشَاءُ Allah does whatever He wills. In verse 58, the author Rahimullah Ta'ala is referring to the hadith of Al-Bara' al-Mu'azib radiallahu anhu al-Bukhari al-Muslim and we mentioned a portion of it before about how the soul is taken from the believer and from the disbeliever and there's a long narration and from what is mentioned in that narration and other similar narrations is that when that soul is returned to the body of the believer then the two angels will come into the grave to speak to him, to question him and there are angels that will look extremely stern and they will cast terror into the heart of the person that sees them except the believer who is surrounded by their good deeds, their prayer, their sadaqah, their fasting, their Qur'an their good deeds surround them from their head and their sight and their feet so the angels cannot draw too close and those deeds give them succor and they give them uh, contentment and hope and so those angels will sit and they will say who is your Lord and they will reply Allah and who is your, what is your religion? Islam. And who was the man who was sent to you? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They will pass the test and Allah azza wa will open for them the gate of paradise into their grave and give them from the blessings of the grave. And that is because as he says, or as Allah azza wa says, they have firm belief in the statement of Tawheed. And that doesn't mean that they just know the answer because the questions are simple. Even a young child knows the answers to those questions. Even a non-Muslim would know perhaps the answers to those questions. It is a question of Iman in the heart and true attestment and conviction of that faith in the heart. And that is why Allah Azza wa says, He makes the one who says this firm in this life and in the next. And that is why the Prophet would make dua to Allah for a good ending. Husnul Khatima. And then as for the disbeliever, that person, the angels will come close to them and they will ask them the questions. Even if they knew the answer at a very uh, superficial level or they knew it just from an intellectual perspective what the answers are to those questions, they will not be able to utter the answer and instead they will say, ah, ah, I don't know. And so that is what is being referred to in this hadith and there is an authentic hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ بَدَّلُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ كُفْرًا وَأَحَلُّوا قَوْمَهُمْ دَارَ الْبَوَارِ Do you not see those, meaning the unbelievers of Quraysh, who have exchanged thankfulness for Allah's blessing for unbelief, and moved their people to the abode of ruin, meaning brought their people to destruction by misguiding them. جَهَنَّمَ يَصْلَوْنَهَا Hell, where they will roast, meaning they will enter the fire. وَبِئْسَ الْقَرَارِ What an evil place to stay. وَجَعَلُوا لِلَّهِ أَنْدَادًا لِيُضِلُّوا عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ They have made others, meaning idols, equal to Allah, to misguide. Read as, يُضِلُّوا and يَضِلُّوا To misguide people from His way, meaning Islam. قُلْ تَمَتَّعُوا فَإِنَّ مَصِيرَكُمْ إِلَى النَّارِ Say to them, enjoy yourselves in this world for a short time. Your destination is the fire. قُلْ لِعِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا يُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَيُنْفِقُوا مِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ سِرًّا وَعَلَانِيَةً مِّنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ يَوْمٌ لَا بَيْعٌ فِيهِ وَلَا خِلَالٌ Tell my slaves who believe that they should establish the prayer and give from what we have provided for them, secretly and openly, before a day arrives in which there will be no trading, meaning to enable them to ransom themselves, and no friendship that will be of benefit to them. This is a reference to the Day of Rising. 
الله الذي خلق السماوات والأرض وأنزل من السماء ماء فأخرج به من الثمرات رزقا لكم Allah is he who created the heavens and the earth and sends down water from the sky and by it brings forth fruits as provision for you وسخر لكم الفلك لتجني في البحر بأمره He has made the ship subservient to you to run upon the sea to transport you and your cargo by his command meaning with his permission وسخر لكم الأنهار and he has made the rivers subservient to you وسخر لكم الشمس والقمر دائبين and he has made the sun and moon subservient to you holding steady to their courses revolving unfailingly in their orbits وَسَخَّرَ لَكُمُ اللَّيْلَ وَالنَّهَارِ And he has made the night for you to rest in and day for you to strive for his bounty subservient to you وَآتَاكُمْ مِنْ كُلِّ مَا سَأَلْتُمُوهُ He has given you everything you have asked him for in accordance with your best interests وَإِن تَعُدُّوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْصُوهَا If you try to number Allah's blessings you could never count them إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَظَلُومٌ كَفَّارٌ Man, when he is an unbeliever, is indeed wrongdoing, ungrateful, doing great wrong to himself by disobeying Allah and being ungrateful for the blessings of his Lord. Allah Azza wa in this verse number 34, Asyuti gives a, a very nice tafsir. He has given you everything you have asked him for. He says, Rahimahullah, in accordance with your best interests. And that is a good way of understanding this verse. Because otherwise we think, oh, we made dua and we made dua and we made dua for something, but Allah never gave it to us. And Allah says He gives us everything. No, what He means is Allah gives you what is best for you in and according to His perfect knowledge and wisdom, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why when we make dua to Allah, either Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts the dua and gives you what you ask for. You ask for money, He gives you money. You ask for a child, He gives you a child. Or Allah gives you something else in its place gives you its reward. For example, the reward of that dua in Jannah on Yom Al-Qiyamah. Or number three is that Allah removes from you some calamity that is similar to what you asked for. A calamity that would have struck you and Allah removes it. And that's why the Prophet said if anything was going to change the decree of Allah, it would be dua. Allah decrees something would happen, you make dua. Allah decrees that that decree is changed. And that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does. And so to continue to make dua and have patience and remember Allah and be grateful for what Allah Azzawajal has given and trust in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to withhold for you, from you, for a wisdom and knowledge that he knows alone subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is from the level of high iman. And Allah Azzawajal says, you cannot count and enumerate even the blessings that he has given you. وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّ جَعَلْ هَذَا الْبَلَدَ آمِنًا Remember when Ibrahim said, My Lord, make this land, meaning Mecca, a place of safety and security. And Allah answered his prayer and made it a haram, in which no human blood may be shed and no one may be wronged. No game may, may be hunted and no plants uprooted. And keep me and my sons from worshipping idols. And from verse 35 onwards in this passage now we have the story of Ibrahim and in particular the du'as that Ibrahim mentions. And it is after this passage that the surah is named. And one of the things that Allah focuses on in the story of Ibrahim throughout the Quran is the du'as that he makes. Whether in Surah Al-Baqarah or whether in this surah or whether elsewhere. And that is because Ibrahim's du'as are amazing. 
amazing in terms of their comprehensiveness, amazing in terms of their meaning, amazing in terms of his vision and his farsightedness and what he makes dua for alayhi salatu wassalam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions here the dua that he makes for Mecca, the city of Mecca and the people of Mecca. And Allah Azza wa says that because of the dua of Ibrahim, he made the, the city of Mecca a haram, a sanctuary. No fighting is allowed, no killing is allowed, no game, meaning hunting is not allowed, no plants are allowed to be uprooted. And that is why the Prophet said when he came into the city of Mecca and conquered it, he said that indeed Allah has made haram, made, made the city of Mecca a haram, a sanctuary. And it wasn't lifted, meaning the status of his sanctity was not lifted, except for a short portion of the day, for me meaning, for the Prophet so that he could conquer the city. And now, its sanctity has returned and it will continue until the day of judgment. That is an exception for a very short period of time. And as we know, there was hardly any killing during the conquest of Mecca, but it was a show of overwhelming force and power, and the city and the people were conquered. And from the du'as that he makes, which is amazing, Save me and my children and my offspring from worshipping idols. And that is a du'a that we often neglect. Often neglect. As Muslims, we take for granted that we won't make sure, or our children won't make sure. And it is an amazing dua to have within your duas. Oh Allah, keep me safe from shirk. As the Prophet used to seek refuge from Allah, that he should make shirk from what he knows, and he will seek forgiveness in making shirk in a way that he doesn't know. And that is from the beautiful duas of Ibrahim alayhi salam. My Lord, they, meaning the idols, have misguided many of mankind through their worship of them. فَمَنْ تَبِعَنِي فَإِنَّهُ مِنِّي If anyone follows me in affirming the unity of Allah, he is with me, meaning one of the people of my deen. وَمَنْ عَصَانِي فَإِنَّكَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ But if anyone disobeys me, you are ever forgiving, most merciful. This was said before he knew that Allah does not forgive shirk. In verse 36, one of the narrations that, that reminds me of is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in the Battle of Badr. As we mentioned in the tafsir of Surah Al-Anfal, when the Prophet is deciding what to do with the captives of war, Abu Bakr says, release them. Umar says, kill them. And the Prophet said, the example of you two is like the example of the prophets of Allah. As for Abu Bakr, you are like the Prophet Isa when he said, Oh Allah, if you forgive your servants, then you are almighty, all wise. And we cover that verse at the end of Surah Al-Ma'idah. And you are like Abu Bakr Ibrahim when he said this. And if, if, but if anyone disobeys me, you are ever forgiving, most merciful. And he said to Umar radiallahu your example is like of that of Musa, as we covered in the verse when he said, Oh Allah, destroy the people of Pharaoh. And you are like the example of Nuh salam, and that verse will come at the end of Surah Nuh in the Quran, but it's something which we mentioned yesterday when discussing his story, that he made dua against his people. رَبَّنَا إِنِّي أَسْكَنْتُ مِنْ ذُرِّيَّتِي بِوَادٍ غَيْرِ ذِي زَرْعٍ عِنْدَ بَيْتِكَ الْمُحَرَّمِ Our Lord, I have settled some of my offspring, meaning Ishaq and his mother Hajar, by your sacred house, which was there before the flood, in an uncultivated valley, meaning Mecca. رَبَّنَا لِيُقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ Our Lord, let them establish the prayer. فَجَعَلْ أَفْئِدَةً مِنَ النَّاسِ تَهْوِي إِلَيْهِمْ Make the hearts of mankind inclined towards them. Ibn Abbas said that if Allah had said Af'idatan nas rather than Af'idatan minan nas, then Persia, Rome, and all mankind would have inclined to it. And provide them with fruits so that perhaps they will be thankful. People bought fruits, 
there when they came to visit. In verse 37, this is a continuation of his dua. Oh Allah, I have settled some of my family there, meaning the Prophet, uh, not Ishaq and his mother, but rather uh, Ismail and his mother, Hajar. And I have settled them there by your sacred house, in a land in which there is no cultivation. Oh Allah, so that they can establish the prayer. فَجْعَلْ أَفْئِدَةً مِنَ النَّاسِ so make the hearts of people inclined towards them. And that is the inclination, the role of Ushab within our hearts to the city of Mecca, whether to go and perform Hajj or perform Umrah, or just that love of watching the Haram on TV as the people are praying there, or the Ristaraweeh in Ramadan. It is that love that you have by seeing the Kaaba and the house of Allah Azza wa Jal. That is the dua that Allah answered of the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. And the statement of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, that if Allah had said, make the hearts of mankind, the translation isn't, isn't um, it doesn't give you the full meaning. The dua is, nas, make the hearts of some of mankind inclined towards them. Ibn Abbas said, had he said, all of mankind, then all of them would have come, but he said some of them. And that is the statement of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, but as we said before, the prophets of Allah learn from the etiquettes that Allah gives to them. And when Allah tells them something, they immediately apply them. And as we mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah, when Ibrahim salam says, Inni nasi imam. Allah says to him, We'll make you an imam of the people. Qala wa min he said, And all of my children. Qala la Allah said, Not the oppressive from amongst them. He takes that etiquette and he applies it here. So he doesn't say, Oh Allah, make all of them come, because he knows not all of them will be believers. But he says, Some of them. Because Allah knows best, he is applying the etiquette that Allah has given to him, and Allah knows best. رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ تَعْلَمُ مَا نُخْفِي وَمَا نُعْلِنْ Our Lord, you know what we keep hidden and what we divulge. وَمَا يَخْفَى عَلَى اللَّهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا فِي السَّمَاءِ Nothing is hidden from Allah, either on the earth or in heaven. It is possible that the words, nothing is hidden from Allah, are direct words of Allah, rather than words attributed to Ibrahim. الحمد لله الذي وهبني على الكبر إسماعيل وإسحاق Praise be to Allah who despite my old age has given me Ismail He was 99 years old at the time of his birth and Ishaq when he was 112 years old إن ربي لسميع الدعاء My Lord is a hearer of prayer رب جعلني مقيم الصلاة ومن ذريتي My Lord make me and my descendants people who establish the prayer he, used, he uses the positive particle min before descendants because he knows that some of them will be unbelievers. رَبَّنَا وَتَقَبَّلْ دُعَاءَ My Lord, accept my prayer. In verse 40, that is also from the beautiful du'as of Ibrahim salam and one that we often neglect as well for ourselves and for our children. He says, make me, O Allah, and my descendants people who pray. And so we often take these concepts for granted. The concept of Tawheed, the concept of prayer, we just assume that we will pray or that our children will pray. And we know that none of this happens except by Allah's help and His divine aid, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so it is a beautiful dua to make for yourself and for your children that Allah keeps you safe from shirk and keeps you firm in Tawheed. That Allah makes you from the people of prayer. And it is always prayer that is signified or signaled out because of its status in Islam and because it is considered to be after Tawheed the foundation of the deen that a person should have their prayer that is what Allah will judge people on first for those people who have Tawheed he will look at their salah and if it is good and correct everything becomes easy and if not then everything else becomes more difficult 
ربنا اغفر لي ولوالدي وللمؤمنين يوم يقوم الحساب Our Lord, forgive me and my parents, Radaz, Walidaya, and Walidi. Walidi, in the singular. Also, Walidi in the singular. This was before the enmity of his parents to Allah was made clear to him. It is said that his mother became Muslim. And the believers on the day, the reckoning takes place. In verse 41, you have this dua of Ibrahim where he seeks forgiveness for him and his parents. As is mentioned elsewhere in the Quran and as we mentioned in Surah Al-Tawbah until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him not to do so. And the other recitation of the singular Walidayya means both my parents and Walidi means one parent. And you have the narration of his mother becoming Muslim and Allah knows best. But that is a qira'a shada. It is not a, is a peculiar reading. The singular is not the reading of the ten. They only read with the plural, the, the dual. Walidayya, both my parents. ولا تحسبن الله غافلا عما يعمل الظالمون. Allah continues, do not consider Allah to be unaware of what the wrongdoers, meaning the unbelievers of the people of Mecca, perpetrate. إنما يؤخرهم ليوم تشخص فيه الأبصار. He is merely deferring them, meaning delaying their punishment to a day on which their sight will be transfixed by the terror of what they see. This term is used when a person's eyes are fixed open without being closed. مُهْطِعِينَ مُقْنِعِي رُؤُوسِهِمْ لَا يَغْتَدُّ إِلَيْهِمْ طَرْفُهُمْ وَأَفْئِدَتُهُمْ هَوَاءٌ Rushing headlong, heads back, meaning their heads facing upwards to the sky, eyes vacant, hearts hollow, empty of understanding due to their terror. وَأَنذِرِ النَّاسَ يَوْمَ يَأْتِيهِمُ الْعَذَابِ One, meaning Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, mankind, the unbelievers among them, of the day, meaning the day of rising, when the punishment will reach them. فَيَقُولُ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا رَبَّنَا أَخِّرْنَا إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ قَرِيبٍ Those who did wrong and disbelieved will say, Our Lord, reprieve us for a short time and return us to the world. نُجِبَ دَعْوَتَكَ وَنَتَّبِعِ الرُّسُلِ We will respond to your call to affirm Allah's unity and follow the messengers. They will be rebuked. أَوَلَمْ تَكُونُوا أَقْسَمْتُمْ مِنْ قَبْلُ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ زَوَالٍ but did you not swear to me before in the world that you would never meet your downfall? Meaning remove from this world to the next world. Even though you inhabited the houses of those of past nations who had wronged themselves by unbelief, and it was made clear to you how we had dealt with them, that we punished them. So will you not be restrained? And we gave you many clear examples in the Quran. Will you not reflect? They concocted their plots against the Prophet وسلم, when they wanted to kill, imprison, or expel him, but their plots were with Allah, a reference to his knowledge or his repayment. Even if they were such and so immense as to make the mountains vanish, read as لِتَزُولَ and لَتَزُولَ this means that Allah pays no attention to them and they only harm themselves. By mountains, here, it is said that actual mountains are meant, but it is also said that religions are meant, which can be said to resemble mountains with respect to stability and firmness. Some say what is meant is to exalt their plotting and some say that it means their unbelief. The second meaning is appropriate according to a second ayah. The heavens are all rent apart and the earth, the earth split open and the mountains brought crashing down. In, in verse 46, uh, the author, rahimahullah, Ta'ala 
in his commentary, I think there's a mistranslation, but it is by mountains here, it is said that actual mountains are meant, but it is also said that religions are meant. What Rasulullah says is Shara'ir al-Islam, meaning the laws of Islam. That is what he's referring to. Not different religions, but the different aspects of Islam, the different laws of Islam, which can be said to resemble mountains with respect to stability and firmness. Some say that what is meant by their plotting and planning, that's what he's referring to, well, some say that what is meant is to exalt their plotting, meaning that this is how grave their plotting was, or this is how major their plotting was, but not that Allah had made it futile. That's what's being referred to as the, the graveness of the gravity of their plotting would have removed a mountain. And others said that it refers to their disbelief. Their plotting is their disbelief. Their disbelief is so grave in the sight of Allah that it would be enough to take away a mountain. Because that is how disliked it is to Allah, that it is so grave that a person disbelieves, claims that Allah has partners or a son or a daughter, that it would be something that would render a mountain asunder. And that is the statement that he's mentioning, Rahimallah Ta'ala, in the other verse in Surah Maryam, Takadu Samawatu, Yatafatarna minhu wa tanshakul ard, watahidru jibalu hadda. That's what he's referring to. Fala tahsaban Allah muhlifa wa'dihi rusula. Do not imagine that Allah will break his promise of help to his messengers. Allah is almighty, having the power to do anything he wants. Exact out of revenge against those who disobey. On the day the earth is changed to other than the earth, and the heavens likewise. A reference to the day of rising when people will be gathered on a white empty earth. As in the hadith record, recorded in the two Sahih collections. Muslim also related the hadith. The Prophet ﷺ was asked, Where will people be on that day? He replied, On the narrow bridge. And they parade, meaning they will be brought out of their graves before Allah, the one, the all conquering. In verse 48, the hadith is referring to the hadith of Aisha. That on the day that the earth will be changed, the heavens will be changed, because the earth will have no mountains on the oceans and the seas will be burning into a blaze and so the water will be removed, the earth will become flat with no mountains, no peaks, nothing else, the sun and the moon will be eclipsed, the stars will fall, the heavens and the earth change. So she asked a messenger of Allah, and where will the people be on that day? He said they will be on the sirat, they will be on the bridge. That day, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa you will see the evildoers, meaning the unbelievers, yoked together to their shaytans in chains and shackles. Wearing shirts of tar to increase the burning of the fire. Their faces enveloped in the fire. So that Allah may repay every self for what it earned, meaning of good and evil. Allah is swift at reckoning. The reckoning of all creation will take place in the space of time of about half a day by the calculation of this world, as the hadith states. In verse 51, and this is a verse that has come a number of times in Allah is quick in his reckoning. And we know that the day of judgment is length will be 50,000 years. But the question here that the scholars are speaking about is the reckoning for the believers. How will it be for the believers? And Allah will be swift in his reckoning anyway with all of the people that have been created from the beginning of time to the end of time. And that is a statement of Ali radiallahu anhu when he was asked, Oh Ali, how will Allah judge all of those people together? He says the same way that he provided for them all together. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
The question therefore is what about the believers? There is a narration uh, that for the believers their accounting is like the time between Asr and Maghrib, meaning that it is a short part of the day that it will be swift. And then the scholars differ. Does that mean a short part of the day of the 50,000 year day? So it's still a very long time in relation to a day that is length is 50,000 years. Or does it mean just a short amount of time? And Allah Azza wa knows best. But for the believers, it will be something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them contentment, gives them peace. They will have no fear and sorrow on that day, on the day that everyone else experiences that because of their iman and because of their righteous deeds. هذا بلاغ للناس ولينذروا به وليعلموا أنما هو إله واحد وليذكر أولو الألباب This Quran is a communication to be transmitted to mankind so that they may be warned by it and so that they may know by clear evidence that he is one God and so that people of intelligence will pay heed And with that we come to the end of the tafsir of Surah Ibrahim and the end of today's session صلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وآخر دعوانا الحمد لله رب العالمين. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.